Alex himself, and we are the official podcast of the MTG at Home Discord server. If you want to play Paper Magic, Alex, where do they go? MTG at Home Discord. The link Why is are in we sh- the description. Why are we shouting? We're excited. We yeah, love everybody. new people to come in, and we love talking to new people, and we're so excited to get people into the server. And uh, I was going to make a bad Grixis joke about you or something, but like my heart's not into it. It's not. The joke writes itself. It's Grixis. Eh, whatever. So <laughs> link, description, play Paper Magic. Speaking of Paper Magic, it's still not back, by the way. We had stuff online, though. MTG uh, online, right? We had the Pioneer sort of tournament thingy with... Uh, Actually, great coverage. It was Cedric. There was only like, what, three rounds, four rounds of Pioneer? I think it was three rounds. I think it was like three rounds on each day or something. It was okay. not only day two at Pioneer, I think. Yeah, that's what and I thought. And then the top was... eight had some Pioneer too. I think the finals was played in Pioneer. Yeah, it was like modern I didn't vintage. I all cute. of it because I like sleep. Uh, and it well. went on till like two or three in the morning here. Oh, yeah, that's right. Big time difference. So, yes. That's a, that's a feels bad. But we did have, besides that, I mean, that was just filled with... Okay, so there were 24 decks. 10 of the decks were Mono Green Devotion and uh, Boros Burn. 5-5 five, five, five split between the two of them. And uh, I don't want to focus on that one too much. I don't even remember who won for the Pioneer segment. I'm not going to lie. I think it was probably Burn. It says Burn in the hands of Mauro Lanzi, which I okay. don't know who that is. So, makes sense. But... You got to keep those decks in the representation. I'll have a link in the description, by the way, for the people who didn't get to see these so we can see what the 24 deck lists were. Some of them are pretty cool. There was a... Uh, oh, wait, no, this Maro Lanzi is just the Pioneer Champs. That's not the same as the... No, that's not. No, that's something no, else. Okay. That was the. This no. was the MTG uh, uh, MTGO Championship. Was it like the 2019? It was the 2019 MTG. Championship. And Cedric Phillips was like three times was like, I am not making a mistake, by the way. It is the 2019 MTGO Championship. I mean, um, did, don't, didn't we all just want to be sort of like back in 2019? No, because we have to do this all over again. Oh, yeah, that's true. No, but yeah. like, yeah. That's how time travel works. No, you can't change anything. You can't change anything. You can't change anything. Nothing changes. That's how it works. In time travel, the paradox is. When you go back and you change something, you cause the butterfly effect. It does not change your timeline. You go back to your future and you are in the same like, exact future. All it does I, is create like, an alternate timeline. I like how you're trying to tell me as if this is fact, even though literally nobody knows how any of this works because we will never yes, find but, out. But there's actually a lot of really cool theories uh, based yeah, like but, actually like, no, no, not like conspiracy theory, bullshit like that, no, like know, genuine, like scientific, like theory um, about the concept of time travel. And the closest thing they've able to come up with in terms of how it would work if you were to do it in theory would be creating an alternate timeline and not act, like literally Back to the Future 2 is right. That's basically <laughs> what I'm getting at. <laughs> it was a long winded way of saying they were right. But anyway, like I was or saying, for, or for people who aren't as old or act like old people as us, Avengers Endgame was roughly right. Yeah. I that, mean, that yeah, work the same way, right? They also yeah, have the alternate yeah. timeline. Oh, yeah. they also mentioned Back to the Future in that one too. Yeah, I do one. know they they like. Uh, is it War War Machine? The the, the other guy in the Iron in the Iron Man issue. Yeah, Don Cheadle. Yeah, like 
I think he may he keeps making jokes about it about like how this is like movie X. It's like wow, product placement. They they made a joke about Hot Tub Time Machine, and I'm pretty sure there's an actor. Isn't Paul Rudd in Hot Tub? No, who is it? Someone's in Hot no Tub Time idea. Machine. Someone in the movie, like in like in that universe, is in Hot Tub Time Machine. It's it's really funny. Um. Anyway, doesn't matter. The only reason I'm saying that is because the 24 decks in that uh, challenge, or not even challenge, whatever it was, the championship. Do not take them as gospel for what the representation of the Pioneer format is. We obviously still have Burn and Mono Green Devotion being big players in the format, but these are a lot of players who don't play Pioneer. It was just a format that was available in what they had to play in the MTG at home, MTG at home, in the MTGO. See, it's just muscle memory at that point. Yes. Yeah, because I keep saying MTG, my gut's like at home, at home, at home, at home. MTGO championship. These are players that haven't played for uh, the pioneer format. So they'll grab whatever the easiest deck to play is or most straightforward deck to play is. And it happens to be mono green and burn. So, yeah, but, just, you kind of just default to like the main strategies. Yeah. Nobody's going to pick up like some convoluted deck that probably like takes a lot of like, like, a, like nobody's going to pick up a control deck if you don't know, like, if you can't really, if you're not as good at like reading the signs of your opponent's deck, where like sometimes you could see like two cards and like be able to tell two decks apart, and if you're not as well informed about the format, you probably either wouldn't be able to do that or you wouldn't trust your own judgment. So you just gravitate to a more straightforward deck. Oh, yeah. Um, but we had some other Pioneer tournaments take place also on MTG Online, not at home. And they were in the form of two challenges over the weekend, as well as the Pioneer Champs. Alex, who were the victorious decks on these wonderful days? So the Pioneer Champs was won by Burn, Big Whoop. Uh, The most played deck in that tournament, together with Wilderness Reclamation and Jeskai Luka. But obviously these differences are very small, because it's like, it's more played than Ors of Auras, but it's literally a one deck difference. Um, then the Pioneer Challenge on Saturday was won by Lotus Combo. Still, again, Burn being the most played deck in that tournament by quite a large margin here. It's seven copies of Burn and then four copies of Ors of Aura and then three copies of like a bunch of other decks. So quite an over-representation representant, whoop, over-representation of Burn. Am I still using the word wrong? I'm just going to move on. Representation. Um, yes, representation. Yeah. God. There you go. I mean, I, I was just chalking it up as like an accent thing where like some people go tomato tomato kind of uh, kind of deal. No, or I like, just uh, I just completely just forgot the word. Oh, so yeah, I just representation. Sort of like, I just went like ripper <laughs> Listeners understand what you're saying. It's good enough. Yes. Uh, and the challenge on Sunday was won by Oops All Spells. Uh, still Burn being most represented, then Ors of Auras, then Wilderness Wreck, and then some other stuff. And there's two copies of Oops All Spells showing up. One is 1st, and one is 29th, which is a, a bit of a difference. But if we want to go into this, because I kind of immediately want to dive into the Oops All Spells list, because yeah. we talked about it last week, and I think the week before, where if you're a Burn player, your matchup against Oops All Spells might actually be pretty poor initially, because they just have this, like, turn four, oops, I gain 12 life and flip my deck around, and now you're dead. Well, you're dead next turn, and the 12 life gain is too much for them to, ke- to keep up. 
Well, um, we saw that the answer from Burn Planers was just to run Soul Guide Lantern, right? Card bought you enough time. They could never go off if you had a Soul Guide Lantern in play. Well, they found a solution. Because obviously, they are Oops All Spells players, so they somehow find a solution for every problem. And both lists have started running three copies of Pithing Needle, which I think is brilliant. So they run Natural State, which also works, but they just started running Pithing Needle. So they just needle your lantern and then ta da! <laughs> what are you going to do? Board in a braid? Oh my god. It's brilliant. I. Again, just I'm not gonna lie. spells player find a solution. I never thought of this, and then I saw it. I, I, I wouldn't like, either. Wow, that's yeah. smart. Because I don't think about pithing needle as a way to stop, like you know. I just always dumb artifact things. Yeah, same. That's interesting. That's really cool. Wow. Yeah, I, I was just I was impressed, and I yeah, I, I was I was literally I was um, readjusting my deck. Uh, I was just like tweaking around with it a bit. And I had Soul Guide Lantern in my sideboard. And I was already thinking like maybe the counter spells Thoughtseize is just enough. They don't run they don't run Leyline of Sanctity as often anymore. I could probably find a way to fight through this. And then I saw the Pithing Needle and I just immediately took the Soul Guide Lanterns out of my sideboard. I was like, this no longer works. <laughs> and I just left it. Like I'm not even gonna try and deal with this. I'm just gonna put an extra counter spell on my sideboard and call it a day. To be fair, this is still a 94 card list, including sideboard. Um, so what, e 79, 79 cards. Yeah, 79. So I mean, you know, that that that's a it's a lot of cards, and uh, find three pithing needles in the. Uh, it's yeah, a literally a, it's literally is... a needle in a haystack, dude. Yeah, but the deck does, I think, mulligan like reasonably well in a slower matchup. So you don't it's it's kind of the standard thing with combo decks, right? You don't really care if you go down to five cards. You can go down to four cards. It's kinda of like Tron. Yeah. Right? If if you if you're up against a slow Natural deck, Tron on a mold of four. Nice. You love to see it. And your and your hand is just I mean, this is like another one of those decks where like Mull, London Mulligan like cannot be like understated how much yeah. these decks live because of the London Mulligan. I think if we still had the Vancouver, Vancouver Mulligan. Vancouver Morgan. Yeah. Um, if we still had the Vancouver Mulligan, I think decks like this just would hardly be played or would see significantly less play, which is almost like that could be like an episode of its own. Like we just talk about the Mulligan system, talk about how it changed and like how we would actually, if we actually like it. Because I'm, I'm still not sure on the London Mulligan and it's been like over a year. It's hard. Like it, I like it because I think, it creates. I think we have a, no. It was before Pioneer. We have not played Pioneer without the London Mulligan. So, um, I yeah, think. it was it was with the uh, addition of M twenty when M twenty yeah, came was, out. That's uh, when they changed the rule. It was coinciding with that. Yeah, so that, that was, was over a year ago. Yeah, that was before Eldraine. Uh, also, what I kind of like to see about these decks again in the Upsal spells. Is that they have actually started running Narcomoeba in the main again? So your priced amalgams immediately come out. There's only one, generally, but I think this is to try and dodge either uh, top deck soul guide lanterns or things like rest in peace, where they maybe like play a rest in peace afterwards or something to sort of partially stop 
because Narcomoeba just immediately gets them out. So there's even less of a window for your opponent to interact and take out your prized amalgams. And you're, well, you lose your hunt to dead, but whatever. You're probably killing them on the crackback. I don't know if there is another deck that you noticed. I mean, again, we see a lot of burn. We see a lot of ores of auras in response. I will say, if I look at the the challenge on the 14th, we generally see burn like still perform. It's almost like people kind of forget that burn's good every weekend. Because I think last weekend we saw it too. We're on the Saturday challenge, there was a lot of burn. And then on the Sunday challenge, people had adjusted to burn. Even though the week before, burn was already doing well. And I sort of get this idea as if every week, people think like, ah, yeah, people have enough hate for burn. People aren't going to play it anymore. And then on Saturday, it's like, crap, everyone's still playing burn. Um, but yeah, you raise an interesting point in talking about like people seem to forget that burn is a thing. Because we're looking at the first... I mean, just the the, uh, the one that Oops All Spells won, which is on the 15th. We're seeing well, the, what? the 14th was first, so. Well, yeah, well, the first one, the first one we're talking about, which is the important thing, because we are the important people. <laughs> uh, so we see seven burn decks in the top 32. And that's a lot. It's a lot. Now, there's five Auras of Auras decks, which, you know, I imagine Auras probably has a, a fairly okay burn matchup because if you get a lifelinker all souped up with these nice pants it's uh hard to deal with yeah right? there's there's one very awkward thing in the matchup and that's because you the moment you get a creature with lifelink on it you slap like two auras on it or like you have like a bunch of enchantment creatures into play and you do like one ethereal armor and your creature goes up to like five toughness they can never kill it mm. except with chain to the rocks but you uh, can't protect from Chain to the Rocks with your Eidolon, because if you give protection from White, all your auras fall off. So that is a little bit awkward about hmm. uh, playing the matchup. You kind of need the Karamatra's Blessing, but I would still say overall it's probably a pretty good matchup. Yeah. Now we saw an, uh, an Orzol Vampires deck in the Pioneer... That must have been in the Pioneer... There was actually uh, one in both challenges. Oh, so on the 14th, on 14th place, very fittingly, and on 21st place on the 15th, are two vampire decks. And let's see, they differ one sideboard card. One runs three Blood Chiefs first, the other two in an Elder Spell. And that's it. I guess it makes it so you can immediately drop your Sorin again, so you can do two vampires. It's also um, the same pilot, it's worth noting. Ah, yes. Uh, probably just going, uh, like, jokes aside, probably just preparing against, like, uh, Jeskai Luka, which I can imagine is the type of matchup that you struggle with as vampires. Mm -hmm. uh, and also the vampire, the planeswalkers coming out of uh, Nif Delight, which is also a very difficult matchup for vampires. So that's probably just kind of, like, hedging your bets against that matchup. But what I wanted to talk about is that this deck is Orzov, and the first thing I saw when I read Orzo Vampires, I was like, oh, this is going to be like, you know, Adanto Vanguard, um, Legion Lord. Lieutenant, yeah. uh, that sort of thing, just to like... But by the way, for, for your pronunciation, is it Lieutenant or Lieutenant? What the fuck did you just ask me? The pronunciation, is it Lieutenant or Lieutenant? Because I know you can sort of... Are you say saying, saying Lieutenant? Lieutenant. Where the hell are you getting an F from? 
I think I think another pronunciation for it, I think that might be more British, is Lieutenant. Lieutenant. Sure. Yeah. So we're going to go with Legion. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And, uh, <laughs> like, I've never heard that before. If I, if I went to anyone that was uh, in any form of military or uh, like police, defar- police department kind of thing, and I said, oh, hey, are, are you a lieutenant? They'd probably slap me. Sounds pretentious. I just quickly asked my girlfriend. Uh, she's English. Um, God. So that's why I was very quickly typing. Because I think I heard her say it. And I was also like, wait, what? And I kind of picked up on it eventually. But anyway, so I expected this to be an Orzov more aggro vampires list. It's really just mono black with Blood Baron of Fiscopa, which is just probably... Is that just an instant win against Burn? Uh, I mean, it's four toughness, so they can, like, put two removal spells in it, but they can't even chain to the rock set. And it's a five mana, four, four lifelink. So for those of you who are unfamiliar with this card, it is Blood Baron of Viscopa. It is a five mana, three and then Orzhov colors for a four, four vampire with lifelink protection from white and from black. As long as you have 30 or more life and an opponent has 10 or less life, Blood Baron of uh, Viscopa gets plus six, plus six, and has flying. It becomes a goddamn 10-10 flyer if you have that big of a gap, which in Vampires, I've been playing it a lot lately, is not unheard of. I have I can get to 30 plus life pretty easily. So, Oh, I, I quickly asked Google. Yes, British pronunciation of Lieutenant is Lieutenant. This is why we had the war. <laughs> Between right lieutenants and lieutenants. <laughs> I hate it. Which were all present in war. Okay, so I quickly looked that up, got that out of the way. Um, so yeah, Blood Baron of Viscopia, Viscopa. I thought I'd add another random letter there, just like lieutenant. Viscopia still sound better, I'm not going to lie. I wish yeah, it was Viscop- called Viscopia. Viscopia somehow sounds, sounds better, actually. Yeah. Um, so that just kind of like in the same vein as Kalidus is a really big blowout, but they can chain to the rock set like they can do with Kalidus. Um, and the other white card in the deck is just two copies of Rest in Peace in the sideboard. And this is, when I looked at this, and I, I saw the Oopsal spells with the Pithing Needles first, mm-hmm. this is um, what the kids sometimes call a five-head play. Like, I don't know if you're familiar with the Twitch meme, Five Head. Yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. I, I know my camera's off temporarily, but I, I'm laughing. I, I hope you understand. Okay, yeah, we had some technical difficulties, so Matt's camera is off, so he can look at my stupid face, but I can't look at his stupid face. Well, I know um, that Matt usually has his camera off, but my name is Brad. Brad. Oh. I somehow keep... Conf- it just... Eh, names, even though my name starts with that, too. Yeah. Uh, anyway... This works around what I previously described as a problem with Sorgard Lantern now, if they bring in the Pithing Needle. Mm. So this might be, it might not be, but it looks like it could be a little bit of a duke to play around that deck, where it's like, oh yeah, they're going to bring in the Pithing Needles, and then I'm just going to bring in the Rest in Peace. Now obviously, these decks also still have a bunch of natural states and abrupt decays, so I'm not sure how effective that would be. But it's the only graveyard hate in the deck. There are no Soul Guide Lanterns in addition to this. There's no Tormod script, no uh, Graf Digger's Cage. So I guess this is kind of it. 
And I guess this person figured out, like, hey, I want to run Blood Baron. And Rest in Peace is also just a better card, given, like, how they sideboard and trying to sort of one-up them there. So I quite like the dip into Orzhov. And it's pretty easy on your mana. You've got two Godless Shrine, four Bright Climb Pathway, two Isolated Chapel, and that's it. Are you telling me that I should uh, purchase some Blood Baron of Vizcopas? I mean, the, the card's bulk. It was in a Commander deck and an Iconic Masters. The card is literal bulk. So if you have everything else, you might as well. I mean, I do. I have literally everything else. Um, even the Agonim's Awakening. Uh-huh. Look at that. Oh, that no rankles. That is not in this deck. This deck doesn't run Agadim's Awakening, which I assume it's in, might be... It's in the trail. 14th edition. The his, his list on the 14th. It's in that one. Oh, wait, it's also in the other one. I just kept looking in the Lance, but it's a spell first. Yes. Um, I do going to confuse rankle. me until the end of time, where like I will know a card more by the back half. Mm-hmm. And then, like, if I if I think of like Seagate Wreckage, it's like Seagate Wreckage is so bad. I just consider it an island that does three damage to you. So, whenever I think of Seagate Restoration, I will just look in the lands, but it is actually a sorcery. Yeah, I've done that mistake as well. Like, I've looked at a a list and been like, "Wow, they're only running twenty three lands," and then I see three Agonim's Awakening. I'm like, "Oh, okay." No, oh, mind. yes, it's a twenty six land. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was especially thrown up when Goldfish was being weird for a short time and it like put Embercleave in the mana base and that sort of thing. Yeah, I don't know what happened there. I mean, it looks like they've sorted it out <laughs> since even, then. Which, by the way, I do find it kind of funny how Goldfish is like this... Um, another deck that did uh, well in the champs, um, which you don't have to touch on, but it's just funny to mention, is Possibility Storm with the yeah. end to the infinite combo, etc. Um, that is still called Red-Green. And then it shows teamer colors behind it because it's apparently a red green deck. So that is somehow not named, and it immediately picks up on Orzhov Vampires. Like that's yeah, just like that's, properly named Orzhov Vampires, and the other deck is so, not called Possibility Storm. So weird. Storm. It took like <laughs> it took almost a month for Oops All Spells to finally get called Oops All Spells. It was just like it was just bug for the longest time, or like four color if it would pick up on the ley lines in the sideboard. Like it wouldn't, yeah. it wasn't called Oops All Spells. But yeah, I, I, I noticed that Orzhov Vampires. Now, to be fair, they also just finally called the Mono Black Vampires deck. Finally, they called it Vampires. Before it was just B for the longest B. time. <laughs> just B. And then uh, you clicked on it and you were really excited because you were hoping it was Mono Black Zombies and then it was Vampires. Always Vampires. And then you were still fairly excited. Oh, yeah. I think Vampires is so cool. I've been playing a lot. And Historic, which is essentially the same deck, just you don't get access to Kalidus or Blood Baron, obviously, if you go Orzov. So I, uh, can you guess what spicy card I've been running as a, a four-drop vampire from Ixalan? A four- oh, it's Sanctum Seeker, isn't it? Is that the name of it? I'm blanking out on the name, actually. It's the one that attacks. Um, Every time a vampire attacks, you drain for one. Yeah, I got a one of in that bitch. It's, it's so good. Like, it's 1B games, um, and like, now, don't get me wrong. I'm not about to take out the Cletuses in my Pioneer version and be like, I'm going to throw in Sanctum Seeker. No, it's not. It's not. That's not it's happening. It's won me a lot of games at Standard, Sanctum Seeker. But that was uh, mm-hmm. when I played Vampires, uh, just Ixalan block, constru- well, block Constructed, because Rivals hadn't released yet. And at that time, I played a lot of Vampires, and I won a lot of games off of Sanctum Seeker. Adrian played a, a, a Vampire Token deck 
for a while in standard. Um, and during the same time, I oh, was with, playing... like Queen's Commission and that sort of thing. Exactly. Uh, that and uh, what's the four drop one? The four drop make three one one lifelinkers. Oh, a man. blood feast or something. Yeah, something like that. He was playing that. And it made an absurd amount of tokens and it made a bunch of lifelinkers. And I'm sitting there playing Hapatra during this time as well. So our <laughs> games Momo were Kaker, absolutely... Yeah, our games were absurd because it's like, hey, I have 30 1-1 uh, vampires. And I'm like, ha, huh, I have 30 beetles and like 12 snakes. Do you remember the hidden stockpile deck from Standard? I do. I had a friend who played that. And first of all, the mirrors were hilarious because they just instantly went to time in game one. <laughs> like it, it was just impossible for anyone to win and i had the dumbest game plan against that deck and it actually sometimes won because the deck was so slow but i would i was playing you guess what i was playing um yeah. yep. and i would have to wait till i had two torrential gear hooks in play so i could cast an hour of devastation hit him for 10 and then next turn cast another hour of devastation hit him for 10 that was my only game plan so I had to kill that priest that gains him life, and I had to just wait till I had because I only had two board wipes in my deck, and like four gear hulk obviously. So I had to wait till I had two gear hulk and then at least two board and then both of my board wipes. I can go wipe hit wipe hit. Only game plan against that deck. That was a mess. That four. That, that sounds like a, a miserable matchup. At least the guy was great. Like he's still a friend of mine. So at least we always had fun. Because if I would be playing that against like a total stranger and I would have to play a 40-minute game one, it would probably drive me up the wall. So, I think if it, about if we want to have a quick move into uh, things that drive me up the wall. Historic, you already mentioned it. You made a Reddit threat, didn't you, Brad? I did, actually. And this came from me playing Historic a lot lately. And I was curious. Because there's a deck in Historic that I've played against quite a bit. It is a essentially a Golos artifact deck. Now, there's different renditions of it. There's different versions of the list. But the most common is base, not even really a color. They play like a few lands that can tap for any color, like um, Spire of Industry, the uh, one from Kaladesh. Um, and then like... Uh, Ifner Dreadlands lets you pay life for black mana. So they run a little bit of black mana so that they can run things like uh, your sweepers, um, like Extinction Event and stuff. Oh, so so this these are like the Forsaken Monument decks, right? Yes. So it's Forsaken Monument, and then they have access to cards like Mindstone and Guardian Idol for and, really good ramp. And is this just going to endlessly activate Golos, or is it a uh, one of those like Mystic Forge, Paradox Engine combo decks? It is not a combo deck in that regard. It's essentially just running two Golos, two Ulamog, three Ugin. Is there, those are their win cons. Um, also, they do run a Karn Wishboard. Um, they run a, a playset of Karn the Great Creator. They run like a one of uh, Karn from Dominaria because when you have all the artifacts and you want to just downtick and make a big 32-32 big boy, you can. Um, so the deck is just very straightforward. It's like, hey, uh, we're going to go into Mindstone, Guardian Idol, Hedron's Archive, and then all the ramp stuff. Also, it runs the book from M21, the uh, pseudo not treasure map, Scry, draw cards. Oh, Maze Mind Tome. Maze Mind Tome, which that card is so Love slept on. Good card. 
But that's how it works. That's how the deck functions. And I'm looking at the list and I'm like, what is not Pioneer Legal? And of course, it's simply two cards. It is Guardian Idol and Mindstone. So I went on Reddit and I was like, hey, hello, Pioneer players. How would you feel and how would you react? And how do you think it would be if we had Guardian Idol and Mindstone printed into Pioneer? For the audience, for the people who aren't aware, let's quickly list what the cards do. So Guardian, yep. Guardian Idol is a two-mana artifact, and it enters tapped, and it just taps for colorless. And I believe it's one to activate it, and it becomes a 2-2 two -two until end of turn. So instead of a man land, it's like a man rock. It, uh, it, it costs two to activate oh, it. Two to yes. activate, okay. And Mindstone is two mana for an artifact too. Enters untapped, taps for a colorless, or you can pay one and tap it, sack it, and draw a card. Yes. So you can kind of have this like mana jump early, but it's never a dead draw because you could kind of just quote-unquote cycle it. Sure, it ends up with, like three mana to cycle, but that doesn't matter because ramping is really powerful, so it's really strong early. Yes. And obviously... We already have access to Hedron Archive and all these other cards. I was just mentioning like the different uh, artifacts and stuff like that. So the question is now like, hey, how would you feel these were printed into Pioneer? Would they be too powerful? And I added a little note up saying, hey, I've been playing a lot of Historic lately and I've come across different variations of the above deck, which I linked the, uh, the five color Golos uh, deck, which is not even really five color. I don't know why it's called that in the uh, page for MTG. It only runs... Um, oh, it just runs Cascading Cataract. Yes, but that doesn't so make it, it four color. Well, Sorry, uh, oh, color. it's uh, Golos's activated ability has five colors in it. So I'm going to assume maybe the automatic like scanner thing kind of works like how it reads for like commander color right mm, Maybe. Because Golos is a five color commander. So that maybe makes that's how it picks it up. Yeah, so. My question was just like, hey, I've been seeing this deck a lot. And do you think if these cards are printed to Pioneer, essentially giving us access to this entire deck? Because everything else is Pioneer legal from what I'm looking at. Pretty um, much. Sculpt Steel, which is a Sculpt. one off in the sideboard. And no Platinum Angel. Okay, well, ignoring the random wishboard stuff, the main deck of how you get there into Ulamog, Golos, and uh, Ugin, that's all there. So I was asking, yeah. hey, do you think it'd be too powerful? And I had three results in the poll. I had too powerful, like tier zero, tier one territory. Underpowered, tier two or three. Or it would be fine. Meaning it'd be a top deck and be a representation of the top decks in the meta, like your top 10. And, you know, tier 1.5 or tier two. But it'd be healthy. So far, we have about 250 votes. Uh, let me refresh actually and just double check. Oh, wow. Uh, we're at 321 now. So 321 votes. 175 say it would be fine. 117 say it would be underpowered. Two to three. And 29 people said it would be too powerful. And this kind of brought up the idea. And at first, I'll ask you what you think about this, Alex, before we get to that. This brought up the idea of like uh, how we would react to other cards coming in from Historic to Pioneer. But first... What do you think about these two cards giving us access to this kind of deck in Pioneer? Yeah. Now, I'm not actually particularly worried about the five-color Golos, particularly. Like, I don't really care about that deck in particular. But I do think that Mindstone, especially Mindstone, I'm not as worried about Guardian Idol, because, again, it is a 
pretty horrendous top deck. Like it can't even like block the turn you play it. But Mindstone, I'm inclined to think might be a little too powerful. And the main place where I can see it now, I don't think it would be like it wouldn't like break anything. No, maybe it is actually like sort of a welcome addition to something like Blue White Control, where it has been seen play. I I off the little historic that I have seen, I have seen Mindstone being played in Blue White Control there. Because Mindstone has this, and I think someone mentioned it in the comments here. Yeah, so a comment here by uh Cat Eater. 3735, please don't. Um, I'd love Mindstone as I remember it delivering me a level up moment as a teenager when my friend didn't cast it turn two and instead held it on turn turn three. So he had Mana Leak available on both turns. Revolutionary at the time, let me tell you. Um, massive nostalgia and that card. So now his conclusion, or their inclusion, excuse me, is doubt it's particularly insane for Pioneer though. But I am on the cusp. Because I think two mana ramp is super powerful. But we've seen it with Wolf Willow Haven in mono green, right? And I can really imagine in like a blue-white control deck, going into like turn two Mindstone, turn three Supreme Verdict is a really powerful line. Yeah. I mean... I wasn't thinking about it in terms of like popping up a control decks, but I can definitely see what you I mean by that. I think that's probably the main place you play it. Hmm. Like, I think the main place where you play Mindstone is in control decks, where you want to. Because again, and I think the most powerful thing is just turn two Mindstone, turn three board wipe. Yeah. And then you sort of reset the board. You actually do it a turn earlier than you normally would, but now you're ahead in mana. And you have and a draw. Well, you can go like turn two Mindstone, turn three Supreme Verdict, turn four Teferi Hero of Dominaria, or yeah. even Teferi Time Reveler and hold up some two mana interaction. So oh, I think you that's... could even, and then after you go to, like Hero of Dominaria, you like draw, untap, and then end step yeah, draw and then again with Mindstone. Mana. Yeah, yeah the, the, like you just go like. Well, I mean, I feel like I feel like once you away or keep up in the gate or something. Well, yeah, yeah, but like I'm saying, like worst case, like if they don't have anything to do um, at at that point, and you just go, okay, I'm just gonna get all my cards. All right, I'll just cash it in now. Yeah, right, and that's where I feel Mindstone's like really good. Now, I have some bias because, um, again, like two mana rocks. You a lot of people probably think of Signets too, and or Talismans that we see in modern, like in their Oops All Spells version runs. Two different talismans, I think. Two mana rocks are really powerful. And when I play commander, I tend to jam like as many two mana rocks as I can into my decks. Because I feel mm. like the jump from like two to four, or in, in commander, the grossest thing is like turn two, play two mana rock, and then turn three, play two additional two mana rocks, and now you have like seven mana on turn four. Yeah. Even in like a non-green deck. So I know sort of quote unquote know the power of these two mana ramp spells. Now again, would it break the format? No. But I think the availability of turn two ramp outside of green is really like a sort of like design philosophy they need to think about. I think it's actually a really big deal, colorless ramp. Hmm. I don't know how I feel about this though. I really so don't. I, I'm stuck between it would be fine or it would be too powerful. I think people who say it's underpowered just really underestimate 
how strong ramp is in magic especially when it's not a dead top deck because that is the biggest problem that any ramp spell ever has that's also why growth spiral is so powerful because it mm. cantrips anyway it's not like a rampant growth where you draw it later in the game and you're like this card doesn't do anything because going from eight to nine mana doesn't matter yeah i'm really not sure um how i feel about it my gut tells me i don't want to see it in pioneer just because i don't want to play against these kind of decks like just for the enjoyment's sake because it's not there it's just like kind of like how a combo decks that kill you out of nowhere um like if we talk about historic things like muxus for example not necessarily a combo deck but it functions similarly to that or you know demir inverter uh sun gun and pioneer so, that kind of thing i think a good comparison is either works marvel too yeah that's a good one too. right just if you're talking about this golos deck in specific Mm -hmm. these decks are really unfun to play against in my opinion because sometimes you like i'm gonna have to give them one activation of golos right but like marvel has this the most because they could just immediately activate it it's like they're gonna get one marvel spin and sometimes they hit ulamog and sometimes they hit rogue refiner and that's nine and day right the rogue refiner deck draws you win the ulamog spins you immediately lose and if your opponent goes just like accelerating into like a turn four Golos, and on turn five they spin it and they hit an Ulamog and an Ugin, like, yeah, cool. Yep, exactly. And like, again, it's not about power level for me. It's about how fun they are to play against. They're really not fun because out of nowhere, you can have met one life and you're like, I, I will, I win next turn. And then they just, they have it. Spin the wheel. Yeah. It's not even about just spinning the wheel, too. It's just like, hey, they just naturally ramp pretty easily. Like, they don't need goals at the time. It's why it's only a two of in the deck. It's not even a four of. It's only a two of because they don't need it. They have enough stuff to just go, okay, we just naturally play Ugin on turn five. Yeah, but I, f- I feel like those type of decks, and that's why I'm a little more okay with the colorless deck, these decks suck against counter spells. Yes. Like, it's just the main thing is that counter spells aren't as popular. But mm-hmm. if these decks would pop up, you would just see some more counter spells, right? You'd see spirits, and they run like two disdainful stroke in the sideboard, and they just never lose. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. That's why I think those decks are these decks are generally okay for me. It's more the wheel spinning of Golos that's boring. But if my opponent gets to ten mana and plays an Ulamog, they deserve to get the cast trigger and exile two of my cards. Like that's fine. Well, Alex, this. Brought up an interesting question between the uh, you and I. We, a few weeks ago, did mention this. I believe I painted the horrible, terrifying scenario in your mind in which Arena has Pioneer on it, Historic is still doing great, but they're noticing their numbers are reflecting a weird... Uh, what's the word? I guess... I guess confliction. They, I was they, working, they figured working... they split up the, the player base too much. They know exactly. they split in their player base. Yes. So they decide, let's merge Pioneer and Historic together, and we'll call it one format. Pioneer, Historic, doesn't matter which. And we just make all of them legal. They're both paper formats now. It's great. Everything's great. And then when we have our Pioneer Master set come out, we just print all the Historic Anthology stuff that wasn't legal in Pioneer into paper for Pioneer Masters. So now Pioneer is officially caught up in paper with Historic as well, and it's easy-peasy, lemon-squeezy. So in this horrible horrible twilight zone scenario alex in which we have access to historic cards and pioneer what would you like to see we'll start with that 
before we get into the uh, stuff we're not so keen on. Sure. So first, for starters, um, we're obviously talking about all the cards that are just in Arena. So that means if we're talking about Jumpstart, we're not mentioning Lightning Bolt. Because Lightning yes. Bolt is not part of Historic. So even if the formats would merge, I would highly doubt that Lightning Bolt suddenly becomes legal in paper. Because it's a Jumpstart. Which is going to bring other logistical issues. But th- anyway, this is a hypothetical anyway. So I'll be honest. There are actually a lot of cool cards that are in historic, and especially historic anthologies. Jumpstart, yeah. I can be a little less keen on, but there's actually some really cool stuff in historic anthologies. For me, the main problem, and we'll get into that more later, is that there are some really heavy hitters that like suck. But there's cool stuff. And a thing that I've talked about a lot on this podcast before is that I would like to see more tribal support. And the upside that historic anthologies have had, that is like much harder to do in a normal set, is they're just like, yeah, just here's three supports card for this tribe, have fun. And mm. some of these are from Jumpstart too, but we see a lot of cards for elves. We see like uh, Imperius Perfect, an Elvish Arch Druid, like another Lord. So like they're both Lords, and one even like gives you this ridiculous amount of mana, and going like turn one Llanowar Elf, turn two Elvish Arch Druid is kind of this runaway draw that Elves is quite known for in Modern, and that's no Heritage Druid, but that card's probably way too good. This would like bring it to the format, which I think is cool. There's Gem Bomb Incinerator, there is the Zombie Incinerator, which name? No, Gem Bomb. It's Gem Bomb something, it's the Zombie one. Mm-hmm. Um, there's Marrow Regery, there is Distant Melody, if you want to splash blue in all your tribal decks, like people do in Popper. So, There's really good tribal support. So that's like the first thing that I'm really drawn to, with some exceptions, which we'll talk about more later. Then there's also the life gain support in uh, one of the two Soul Sisters and uh, Sarah's Ascendant. I think there was another life gain card that I forgot about. I know Ajani's Chosen is in, but I believe that is in Jumpstart, but not on Arena. The relevant ones are Soul Warden and Sarah's Ascendant. Yeah, yeah, they're they're the more relevant ones. Um, And. Another general archetype I've seen a couple cards for is uh, Blink stuff, mainly Momentary Blink and Cloud Shift, which are type of cards that I also really enjoy playing with. I like the Blinky, ETB, value um type of deck, when it's like a little bit more controly, you know, not a Panharmonicon slam things down. It's fun too, but, you know, the idea of like your opponent wants to remove your creature and in response you Cloud Shift it, so not only do you blank their removal, but you also get the ETB again. Really fun magic, in my opinion. And then there's some loose mentions. Uh, but I don't know if you want to go into these three general things I covered first before I list off too much and we forget. <laughs> uh, so let's go one thing at a time. So we'll go with the tribal support first. Uh, and I know you said there is one exception. I know what the exception is. We won't get into that yet because we agree on this one. But outside of this one exception, we'll talk about in a bit. 100% agree. Um, all the tribal support would be super awesome. Um, actually, let me rephrase. You have two exceptions. I only have one. We actually disagree on one of these as far because there's two different yeah. tribes. Yeah, and I have one on the unsure. Um, actually, two if you count rogues. Una's black card is in historic too, which is actually Ooh. rogue tribal. But I'm not even sure if that card would be good enough. But it is cool. 
Yeah. So as far as the tribes are considered, yes, would be awesome. Um, now, then there's the lifelink one. Uh, I have been wanting a really nice lifelink deck available in the format just because it's a great option for new players. Um, they don't have to go into the Heliod. I'm going to drop, you know, decent amount of money on this life gain deck right, right off the bat. But like we talked about in our getting into pioneer episode, you want to have a budget deck with a path of, uh, you know, um, upgrade, what's the word path. upgrade path. Thank you. Soul warden, Sarah's ascendant, and just a bunch of good, like, you know, life gain synergies is certainly a deck with an upgrade path to go into Heliod and things like that. I mean, it and even has a, a funnier upgrade path where you could just upgrade it into modern. <laughs> yeah, you could. Like soul sisters <laughs> is a modern deck and it's not, I mean, it's not like top tier, but it's competitive-ish. And you win games. A, a lot of the the cards that make the difference are kind of cheap. Here we have Soul Warden, the other one's Soul's Attendant, and I think there's Martyr of the Sands, which is also a really cheap card. Yep. So it's even like, that's even like the better one. It's like, oh, they play Pioneer and Modern here. Well, cool. Here's Soul Sisters, except it's Soul Sister in Pioneer. And what was the other one you mentioned? The, the, uh, I know blink, those blink stuff. Momentary blink stuff. Blink and cloud That's shift, right. Mostly. Um, yeah, that that literally does nothing for me. Uh, I'm not that kind of player, but I mean, the decks are cool. I'm always really happy to see decks that can synergize with, uh, I don't want to say outside the box type of things, but I mean, in Pioneer, Blink would be definitely an outside the box kind of deck. Yeah, it, so. it, it, I always really like it because it's a, uh, it's, it takes a, it's a very different dimension on creature decks, which I think is fun. It turns creature decks into much more controlling, slower strategies, while they could still maintain some level of tempo. Like your what opponent you tries to like swing in with two two twos, and you blink your reflector mage, bounce one, block the other. Like feels good. But yeah, I'm agree. I'm in agreement with all those. Um, and you said you wanted to go over some maybe stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I just, no, I had five. So I kind of, I, I initially went through all the cards and my list became way too long. So I had these uh, five, three sort of blocks and now I just have five loose cards that I think like either are very impactful or cool or they spawn an archetype or something like that. So the first mm-hmm. one to spawn an archetype is Tempered Steel, which I think is a pretty popular historic deck. Also God, just the straightforwardness. Which is deck. just it's an enchantment and it's one white white. And I think it says all artifact creature uh, artifact creatures you control get plus two plus two. That is correct. So it just turns like your ornithopter into a zero mana two four flyer. Yeah. And, and your then... stone coil serpent can just be like a two mana four four reach trample. Yeah. I'm a big fan of this deck. Um I, I played against it a lot and uh historic and um super fun it's it's uh, just cool yeah right that, that's what i like about the deck you just play you just play like a two-in-one glorious anthem but there is a deck building restriction which i think is cool it's the type of thing you should be awarded for i agree then sticking in the white cards category is uh thalia guardian of thraben which you me everyone has talked about that this card would be really cool in Pioneer. Yeah, it doesn't do anything broken. It's not a problem card. It actually, and this is the biggest thing for me, is it allows white decks to have an identity in the format again. Now that we don't have, 
Yeah. Which I think uh, is always great. These effects being symmetrical is so much better than all this one-sided bullcrap we've been getting in the past few years. Teferi, Narset. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, giving white an identity because we haven't had a, a white deck. You can, I guess you can argue that Orzov Humans kind of is that identity, but it's just a, a glorified white weenie deck that splashes black for Thoughtseize and General Kudo in a human shell, right? I mean, that deck would probably immediately go straight up to tier one with Thalia. Probably. Yeah, probably. But um, at least it gives an, an identity again. To, uh, it's also to the white. type of deck that I don't never really mind being at the top. No. Because Thalia is strong, but after all, it's the creature strategy, which is like the most basic thing you can combat in deck building. Like, play one sweeper, and sometimes you just instantly win the game. Because exactly. that's the risk they take, which I think is cool. So, the other card I think of, which is uh, Legacy players will especially be aware of this one, is Knight of the Reliquary. Hmm. Which I think is just a cool, engine-y, powerful card, uh, which I could really see, like, uh, I had to quickly look it up again, just so I exactly read it out. This is just really cool for banned company decks. And we haven't really seen, except with, like, rare exception, just, like, a banned company value deck, which I think is a cool deck to have uh, around. It's a deck that a lot of people would gravitate towards. There's a lot of people that enjoy their banned value town stuff. So Knight of the Reliquary is a 3-mana 2-2 for a human knight, obviously. Knight of the Reliquary gets plus 1, plus 1 for each land card in your graveyard. Now that means this card is significantly worse in Pioneer because we don't have fetches. It says, tap, sacrifice a forest or a plains, search your library for a land card, put it into play, then shuffle your library. I don't even think this card is particularly like broken, or it, it might not even be like. Well, it's good; it's not broken, but like this might not even be like particularly great. It's just cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's anything I'd worry about. I was just gonna be like, no, yeah, but cool, I, I, I like the the finickiness, the like again, the interesting deck building you can do with this because finding any land is really powerful, but we don't have like. Pioneer doesn't have like the most powerful lands. There's not like, I mean, there, there, there's just like, there's no Ghost Quarter, for example. Well, it, that would be a thing if these formats merged. So that might yes. actually make it a little problem. Well, a little annoying, not necessarily problematic, but annoying. But there are just cool lands you can fetch up with this. And that also means that it is a card that, in a very, in my opinion, interesting way, becomes better going into the future. Because now a new set comes out, and it's like, oh, what are the lands I can fetch up with my Reliquary, Knight of the Reliquary? Mm. Which is usually not a thing to be excited about when you go into sets. And unless they are obviously powerful, you never really think like, oh, like Sequestered Stash, what a what a cool card. I mean, there's there's that one Wizards player right now just rubbing his hands together, so excited for Strixhaven coming out next year. Just so excited. So there's going to be a set for everyone next year. Uh, speaking of which, I am more excited about uh, vampires and werewolves because I want to see what happens with mono black or if we get Warzov and stuff like that for vampires and pioneer, but I want to see a werewolf deck, but don't want to get off into a tangent. Any other cards? Yeah. So a cool card to fetch up with your knight of the reliquary is Bajuka bog. Oh, get the fuck which, out of here. I don't want that card here, which I actually think is a pretty reasonable card. It's no uh, secret 
that the graveyard literally becomes like better every year in Magic yeah. as a whole. Yeah. Every year, the graveyard becomes better. Where we went from like 1997, when the graveyard hardly did anything, unless like there were some, probably some stupid things like reanimate. But like, what were you reanimating? Like a lightning angel, um, or a Sarah angel? But now we just see the graveyard becomes more and more powerful. We've got Luris, we've got Delve spells, we've got Upsal spells, Price Amalgams, all these crazy things being done in a graveyard. And that's why I like Bajukabog. It's this very simple, like, and it's sorcery speed, it's a tapped land, but it's just this break for graveyard decks. It doesn't, like, wipe them out, but it's just a break. Like, your opponent's filling up their graveyard, it's like, could you stop for two seconds? Bog you. All right, let's keep playing the game. I mean, yeah. I mean, I you know. are usually the guy to abuse the graveyard, so you you hate it. I yeah, I'm biased because I fucking <laughs> my all the decks I play are graveyard decks. Um, Cathos was one. Uh, let's see, the only deck I actually play Pyromancer is one. Yeah, Pyromancer. Um, I do like zombies. Um, I liked uh, I like Dredge was Dredge a lot. That was one of my favorite decks starting out in the po- uh, format. So yeah, a lot of graveyard decks, but. I don't know, even with that, so ignoring my love for those kind of decks, my problem with Bog whenever I'm playing against it, even like even when I'm not playing a graveyard deck and I see someone just drop Bog, it's the freeness of it. I get it comes in tapped, so it's not necessarily free-free, but that's always a thing that just kind of feels eh. And it's one of those cards that steals games, in a sense, game one, when you have no business stealing it. If that makes sense. Yeah, I, I, I see what you mean. My, my counter argument to it is that even lands have become more powerful. So Bajuka Box is a much more meaningful tax. Like you could think like, oh yeah, I'm going to put it in like my mono black vampire stack. But it's like, yeah, but you've already got Mutavolt. And now you've got this card. And it's like, maybe now your castle's going to come in untapped, right? Because you need an X number of swamps mm-hmm. um, in your deck to order to make that sort of thing consistent. So because lands have become so powerful, we've got all these spell lands now, I feel like the, there is an actual tax of putting Bajukabog in your deck, which makes it less free than it was, say, five years ago. I can get that. I, I still It's still staying firmly on my list of cards I don't want in the <laughs> format. So, Oh, I'm sure on my don't want list, there's also cards just because I don't like them. Not because I immediately think they make the format worse. Most probably will, but some it's just like, I do not like this type of magic. Um, and the last one is a fun one. It's Assault Formation. Because who does not want more cards for Big Butt Tribal? No one. Not a what single can I person. say, Brad? I like Big Butts and I cannot lie. I like walls. I do like walls. <laughs> They're a fun deck to play. Yeah, I like I like that a lot. So, what about your cards? Anything to add to like cards you like that I haven't talked about yet? Well, you already talked about Tempered Steel, so you stole that one from me, but that's fine. Uh, I want to talk about another white card, Timely Reinforcements. Let's give Control a nice tool against uh, aggro decks. Um, this card's great in modern. Yeah, and... let's put it in white again. Yeah. That's my problem with this card. But you, you finish your point first. Sorry, I interrupted. I just want to give control decks a nice way to kind of counter against uh, the, the burn. I mean, this would help 
Orzov or even Esper to an extent against uh, Burn. This would be a nice cyborg card for them. Um, yeah, but I don't know if there's any other point you want to add to it. Nope, just a good card. Because my main problem is, first of all, we talked about this a couple months ago, I think, where we were like, a problem with the format is that there's no good aggro decks. And now we have aggro decks, and now we would want, and now people would get timely reinforcements, which just immediately kills like half of these decks. It, like, it wouldn't kill half these decks. I mean, okay. I'll, think, I'll, I'm not sure if Burn even exists if we have timely reinforcement. Like, the card is so I unbelievably want, I good against 100%, Burn. I 100% disagree with that. Um, Burn kills you so fast, and I've seen plenty of games, even in, I mean, this is modern, but I've seen plenty of games where someone casts timely reinforcements two or three times, and they still lose. Yeah, but that's modern Burn, which is much better than Pioneer Burn. This wasn't even, I mean, this was also Shadow, but it wasn't even like, they didn't have a big shadow at all, or even a score a scourge. It was just like dismemberment and stuff, or not dismember, but a growth, uh, whatever. I get, yeah, I get your point though. I do. I just don't think this flat out kills burn. And another problem I have with it is that it's in white, and this is sort of just a grudge I have against control decks in like the past few years. But I'm I already don't like the fact. That when people think of control decks, they immediately think of blue decks. Like, I actually kind of like things like Orzov Control, Mardu Control, Ragnos Control, like those type of decks, because I think they're generally just really cool. Like, Orzov Control is just kind of removal tribal with, like, life gain, and then generally there's, like, two or three big beaters and some Planeswalkers in. Like, it was a standard deck, like, four years ago or something. Mm. And it seems like in recent times, these decks just don't exist anymore because there's too many good blue control guards right dovin's veto the fairy uh both both the fairies really uh mystical dispute uh the counter spells like i mean people could say like yeah counter spells are still not good enough like we want more two mana counters or something but counter spells have gotten better in recent years they just do more things now yeah we've got an absorb neutralize sinister sabotage void shatter like we just have had better cards and like it's kind of unfair to call most of these cards cancel with upside because they are much better than cancel and i just feel like recently white has been added to that list like if you look at the top control decks bar like demir inverter like 95 percent of control decks that do well are blue white something yeah and this card would make it so control decks are good against, better against aggro decks, but it is again something for white decks. And it just again solidifies that every control deck is blue-white-X. I suppose this might be a bit of a nudge for non-blue decks. They would only have to be white for timely. But it's still like the same ballpark. Yeah, but let's look at it this way. If we look at the historic metagame, the top decks in historic are uh let's see you have four color uro pile which uh, i actually don't see that often when i'm playing historic i've been playing a lot but it's is uro according... still historic legal it is yep it is um 21 of the meta for historic is apparently four color uro piles uh they have they play uh what's it called the abzan seb uh, mckinnon kill your thing card uh, the uh, mythos of something yeah so they have the access to play that uh then it's jun sacrifice gruel aggro goblins 
burn, mono red, combo, uh, and then blue white uh, for like control. You have, let's see, one, two, three, four, five cards in the top, or five decks in the top uh, eight that are aggro decks. And yes, the blue white decks do run two timely reinforcements in the side, but like, it's not shutting these decks down. And if it, if it, if this card doesn't shut down decks in historic, it's not going to shut down the decks in pioneer where the burn decks, especially in these type of decks are better by a lot. Yeah. But the creature, I feel like timely reinforcements is better suited against the deck, like pioneer burn than it is against something like gruel aggro. Cause gruel aggro generally like Ember cleaves an overkill shoe for like 25 damage. At least I assume the, um, historic ones similar to the standard and the pioneer one. And if I look here, like sacrifice goblins is almost a combo deck. There is burn, uh, like traditional burn here too. So maybe I'm wrong. I'm also maybe I'm I overestimated in saying it kills burn. Mm. You might you've convinced me that that's not true, but I do still buy into the thing of like but it's just another white answer that's good against aggro. And it's also just in that way sort of a boring way to give white power. It's like, you can gain yeah. life and make tokens. It's like, that's no, yeah. the thing it, we've that, always been doing. Which, that's just a complaint on its own about the identity that white has at this point in Magic. And, and yeah, that's true. a frustrating topic that plenty of other content creators have pounded the table for. Look at Pleasant Kenobi, for example. White's his <laughs> favorite color, and he's just like, yeah, white fucking sucks. It's stupid. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's whatever. But time re- Timely Reinforcements is one of the cards I would like to see. Obviously, I'd like to see Thalia. Talk about that. Um, the life gain stuff. Yep. Cool, 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 cool. Um, there was another one. Oh, I, I have one for you that I think would be 100% fine in Pioneer. I would not care at all if it was in the format. Phyrexian Obliterator. Don't care. Throw it in. Really yeah, I just don't. Yeah, it's fine. I'm just not a fan. Like, it's a I, boring card. Yeah, but I it's agree. Fine. It probably wouldn't be like too good, but it's not a card I'd be happy to have in my format. Generally, if your opponent plays a Phyrexian Obliterator against you and it's good against your deck, it's miserable. If it's bad against your deck, it doesn't do anything. And um, that's kind yeah. of my problem with Phyrexian Obliterator. And then I have my last big three that I like to see in the uh, in the format. Now these are from uh, like uh, Jumpstart, I believe. These are all from Jumpstart. Allosaurus Shepherd, the one mana elf, Crater Hoof, and the Common Dual Lands. Now the Common Dual Lands are the ones that say like, "Hey, this one is tapped. It's base blue or whatever." And then you can name any other color, and it also taps for that color. So really cool cards and they come in yeah, so, so i don't care about debate the lands because they suck like they they're, they're probably like budget friendly which is always cool yeah if we're like translating to paper too but they're kind of just like glorified guild gates it's like they they aren't particularly great they're fine yep hoof is interesting i, I like hoof like I, I, it's even cool to say it like, just one of the best things in Magic is to say, just put a lot of things on the table, say, just hoof you. And you're just, yeah, yeah, I'm not even going to have to do the math. I take, like, 1,700 damage. 
Um, so Hoof School, I don't know if it would be too good. I doubt it. Again, because the main deck that abuses it in like Modern and Legacy is Elves. And they are better at generating tons of mana through a card like Heritage Druid, or they just cheat it out with Natural Selection, which is also not part of this. So I think Hoof's probably fine. Yeah. And it's cool. I have a problem with Allosaurus Rider. A, a big problem with Allosaurus Rider. Well, that's a good segue into cards that we don't want to see in the format because I don't really have any other cards that are like. No, just sorry, not Allosaurus extra... Rider, Shepard. Allosaurus Rider is the card people use to uh, put a Gristle Brand into play on turn one. Yes, that is a distinct difference. But because you're already guns loaded for Allosaurus Shepard and you have them in your crosshairs, Alex, fire away. Why do you not want to see them in the format? Counter spells are already pretty bad. This card only makes it worse. Like, this card says, so for the people who don't know, it's a one mana 1 1, mythic, because, you know, why not screw over legacy players and make this card like 80 bucks? Um, it's an elf shaman. Allosaurus Shepherd can't be countered. Green spells you control can be countered. And six mana until end of turn, each elf creature you control has base power and toughness 5-5 five, five, and becomes a dinosaur in addition to its other creature types. Now let me start this off by saying, if all of these words just said elf, I think it's pretty cool. My main problem is, well, first of all, it can't be countered, which I'm never a big fan of. If a card can be countered and then stops counter spells, it's just like, okay, I just literally have no point where any of these cards matter. But I hate it says green spells. Wilderness yeah. Reclamation, Uro, Niv, any green planeswalker. Like, I'm not saying these all go into the same deck as Allosaurus Shepherd, but I just don't like the fact that no green spells can be countered. I've seen this played in Legacy, and you play Allosaurus Shepherd, and then your natural selection is uncounterable, and you get a Progenitus, and you just win against the control deck if you don't just kill them with Crater Hoop. Yeah. And I just think that is just so boring. I like we... the activated ability. I like this. When I first saw this card, it felt to me like this was sort of going to be the Azuri the of the Elves deck. Mm. Where Azuri in Modern is like every five mana you put in it, you get an overrun. So plus three, plus three in Trample to all your Elves. So obviously the power there is you activate it multiple times. This one can't do that, but that's why it sort of feels like the fairer, less powerful version of Azuri. It's just all this anti-counter stuff. You could have made this like a 1-2 and just made it better for elves. But this is just a generally ridiculous green card against counter spells. I understand your point. It gives I me do. Carnage Tyrant vibes. Where like True. that card in standard was just, hey, I just play this and instantly win the game unless you have like one of four cards in your hand. I mean... I mean, you can push it. If they yeah, put a spell I, on the stack and they're trying to be cute, you're like, okay, push it, counter it anyway. So Yeah, so that's where I'm saying, like, this card on paper seems super strong. And I agree, the green spells thing, like, it's not even just, like, green creatures. It's green spells. Yeah, if it would be green creatures, it's better. If it's elves, it's perfect, and you can give the card power in other places. Like, but, I can imagine if this said elves, you could have made it so it gave trample. For example, true. which I yeah. just think would have been a more fun way to design this card. So it just feels like a little wasted potential. But with that being said, 
I still think this is one of those cards that is a trap card. Now, in Legacy, in Legacy Elves, obviously, very strong. But we're not playing Legacy. We're playing Pioneer. We don't have that same power level available to us. And in the scenario in which we got Creator Hoof as well, sure, we have that pseudo-elf uh, style or the other decks they can go in. But I really don't think... A deck that cares about counterspells probably has some form of creature removal as well. Um, or cares about your own counterspells is what I mean by that. So this thing is super easy to kill. You can shock it, for example. I'm not saying you're going to be playing Jeskai or whatever, but... Yeah, yeah, I know it, what you mean. You if it, it dies, you shock it. if it dies to shock, that's pretty much where I'm like, eh, I mean, it's not. Again, it runs it, away it, with games it, in which you don't have removal. But I can say it about so many cards that we don't have on the same pedestal as Alistair Shepard. At least in regards of like dangerous to the format, not counting Uro, obviously. Yeah, my my main thing is just that it would just be super unfun in the games where it works and trivial in the games where it doesn't. So if it's a trap card, that means it's either a card that has literally zero impact on the game, or a card that single-handedly wins it, and it's a one-mana green card. Just as God intended. So, th- so that's that's the point where I don't like it. You're right. Like, yes, yeah, sometimes you they play an Alice or a Shepherd, and they get comfortable, and they play a b- big green card into it, and you're like, okay, push it, counter it, cool. I probably like win now. Mm. And sometimes they go. Alice or a Shepherd, they get cocky, play their big spell, the only thing you have in your hand is an Absorb, and you're dead. So, it doesn't lead to fun games. Like, a game that is decided by Alice or a Shepherd is probably not a very enjoyable game. Yeah. That's my main problem with it. It's just, but that's obviously a ton of personal bias, because I see cards that can't be countered, and I just immediately hate them. So, but you liked playing Big Chandra in your Grixis deck. Well, that doesn't mean that I don't play them. Like okay. if I want to, if I want to, if Blue White Control is really big in the meta, and I want a way to beat it, I'm gonna play Big Chandra. That doesn't mean that mm-hmm. I'm gonna particularly enjoy it because my opponents don't either. Like most mm-hmm. games that I win with Big Chandra are also like boring as hell. So I just go like six drop, and they're like, I can't counter that. And it's like you're correct. Give you an emblem. You lose now. Like. Yay! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> aren't we all enjoying ourselves? <laughs> You're playing Control Mirror, so no, I'm gonna answer that for you. Chandra or not, used to be fun. Wizards in ruined Control Mirrors in the past two years. Teferi is stupid. Mystical Dispute is stupid. Dovin's Veto is stupid. Chandra is stupid. Like all these cards have ruined Control Mirrors, which used to be much more interesting. I feel like Control Mirrors have gotten from like. Some depending on the format and matchup, fun to play and definitely interesting most of the time to super boring, where one of the two people is probably going to run away with the game because they resolved a Teferi or something. Yeah. Well, make control mirrors cool again. Also makes them more fun to watch. Do you have any other cards that you absolutely just do not want to see in this format? I mean, I have a lot of cards that I don't want to see, to be honest. Well, it's not too much, but I think in terms of time, too, I want to go over like the the main egregious ones. There's some cards here, like Cathar's Crusade, that I hate because you need to get a million dice out, but not a card that I think is necessarily a problem. Uh, some I want to touch on and just quickly mention are like the easy combo cards. So one is Curiosity, because you slap it onto a Nif-Mizzet Perun, and the moment you draw a card, you win the game. Yep. Um, 
it's uh, exquisite blood, because if you have Vito the Dusk Throws in play and you, you gain one life, you win the yep. game. So Which again, I mean... you just yeah, you just go turn five or Mind Stone and then turn four exquisite. Oh my blood. god! Yeah, let's let's and... not do that because you know what Wizards yeah. gonna fucking do. This is I, I have. I, let me paint this picture for you. This is what happens. Historic and Pioneer emerge. Mono Black Vampires is like we have a combo way to win now. Cool. And then you just put the combo in, and that's how you win now. Yeah. And then Wizards is like, we can't have that. Ban Soren. And it's like, what the fuck? Yeah. So, uh, Exquisite Blood says, whenever an opponent loses life, you gain that much life. But Vito says, whenever you gain life, your opponent loses that much life. So, if you just go like turn four, because of your Mind Stone, because it's a five mana card normally, Exquisite Blood, you go turn five you play veto and a radiant fountain you gain two life they lose two life you gain two life they lose two life you win the game because it just goes infinite hooray and so that's a, a card i don't want to deck. see uh dual caster mage we've already seen that in neoform decks in historic which yep. i think is super boring um then there's uh presence of gaunt which is just enchant a creature tap create a one one now, I don't think there is a combo yet, but you can probably find something. And this is just the type of card where it's like, it's it's unplayable when it's bad, and it's part of some stupid combo when it's good. So, no thank you. And then there's just some big hitters, with probably the most famous one being Muxus, which I think everybody can agree, that card sucks. Yeah, Muxus is miserable to play against. All I know about Muxus is that I had multiple friends of mine being in group chat, and they all played Muxus, and they all got to like Mythic in like two days on Arena, just playing Muxus. That's that's all they did. They're like, yeah, I just burned all my wild cards. I got Muxus. I wanted a good deck to play, and this deck is ridiculous. And like half my friends played just Muxus all day. I hate the card. I agree. Get the fuck it has out to of spin the wheel. It has to spin the wheel effect that we talked about earlier with Golos. Sometimes you play a Muxus and you hit like two Skirk Prospectors and like a War Chief, and it's like okay, whatever. And so okay, yeah, but they hit... already have an, the problem with that is they already have an established board, and they just start sacking well, things. With, sometimes with... they like turbo out Muxus, and then they yeah. don't actually have anything. Like Muxus can whiff, or you can be horribly far behind, play a Muxus, and instantly win the game. Yep. And that's just stupid. It it wins games out of nowhere, and it loses you games you had no business losing. Which is just yep. unfun. Speaking of unfun, Pact of Negation. Why is this card in Historic anyway? It's just a free counterspell for uh, for the for the decks. Though there's a wonderful clip. I'm actually going to put that in the uh, description. Uh, I sent it to you, Alex. I'm pretty sure there's a clip where I'm playing. Um, I'm playing something. Uh, I don't even remember what deck I'm playing, but they um, they counter. They use Pact of Negation to counter something. Oh, I was playing Feather. So I had I had I had the dog out, self a savior. And then I go to play a card to like um or like I'm ba- like they, they play uh Gideon, Gideon the Trials, so they can't lose the game, right? They make the yeah. album. Then I'm like, okay, swing in at Gideon. I go ahead and I uh and they're tapped out at this point because they just play Gideon. I go ahead and pl- uh, try to pump my uh, my dog to kill Gideon. And they're like packed in negation that. And I was like, uh other pump spell on the stack pump dog 
and they just insta scoop because they would have lost because they couldn't <laughs> they couldn't they couldn't pay for the back negation on the next turn. And I was like, what? Why were you counting or countering my? I don't get that, dude. Like, why? That's just bad play. But yeah, back negation, negation is one of those cards. Where, like, it is. And it's one of those cards that's going to get worse and more egregious as the format gets older. So it's better just to not have it in the format at all. But like as of right now, I just be like, eh, dumb card. But is it going to yeah, make me hate Pioneer? Probably not. I find an important thing about Pioneer is that it's a format with no zero mana spells. Yes. And Pact of Negation breaks that in probably like the most egregious way possible. So now, let's I just not mentioned start now. that counter spells aren't good enough, but that doesn't mean I want Pact of Negation. No, because I want it's things just like remand. When your opponent is tapped out, they are tapped out and they cannot cast spells because they are tapped out. That's like how the game is supposed to work. And sure, you can have like force of negation in modern and blah blah. And like it's like whatever, but I don't want that in this format. And this card brings that, which yeah. is like it's an interesting dynamic. Getting a control player to tap out by like playing one spell, it's such a feels bad when you go and play one spell into an absorb. And now they're tapped out. You're like, oh, I played around it perfectly. Now I can play this other card, Pact of Negation. Mm. Like, it's just such a feels bad. Yeah. Speaking of another feels bad, Thragtusk. This card, Get I believe, is one, one or two sets off of actually being Pioneer Legal. I, I think Thragtusk is just... Again, I like formats where aggro is good. And I don't know if Thragtusk and Thragtusk just... Is so efficient and gains a million life. And it doesn't when, do anything in historic. You get it when it leaves the battlefield. Doesn't do anything in historic. People play Thragtus against me when I'm in historic, and I'm just like, cool. yeah, but you're playing vampires. I'm gonna safely doesn't, assume that Thragtus is it, shit against vampires. Well, yeah, but even if I'm not playing vampires, I'll play like uh, well, the other decks I play. It doesn't matter either. So I'll play well, like Thragtus Pyromancer. I, I, I do want to add that Thragtus is not on the level of Muxes or Pact of Negation at all. No, like it's not even close. But it's just a card that I think is really unfun because it's just such a brick wall, and against some decks, and and that's what I don't like. I think this yep. card wouldn't make the game fun. That doesn't mean I don't think it. I, I don't think Thraktus breaks anything. It's just really unfun. Yeah, I mean, I get it. I get it. I I think Thraktus is fine. I don't care about that. Now card again, you have much more experience in historic, so maybe I'm really over evaluating a card, and you're saying like, "Yeah, this card has zero impact in historic." I'm like, maybe. I will concede that point. I have no idea. And and that's not to say that historic and pioneer are a very like a one to one ratio with one another. To say that it goes in pioneer. Can I um, add one more card, and then I am done with? There's some more, but I'll leave the rest off. If you um, must, yeah, go ahead. One more card, and it's Oracle of Muldaya. And no idea what that again, does. It's four mana for a two-two. Mm-hmm. It says you may play an additional land on each of your turns, and then it's Corsair of Crufix. Play with the top card of your library revealed. You can play lands from the top of your library. Now, I did not play in the standard where this was good, but I believe this card was very good. And the main thing is, and this is kind of a problem I had with Corsair of Crufix too, and this is a point I originally heard from Brad Nelson. When he talked about the standard format where Cursor of Crufix was really good. And he says he said that formats become really boring when everybody has perfect information all the time. 
And mm. if everybody plays with the top card of their library were revealed, and what if like with Chorus of Crucifix and Oracle of Moldaya, you have like a, a critical mass of cards that do this, it just means everybody is constantly playing grindy mid-range mirrors with perfect information, which is super boring. So I just don't like this card because it encourages that type of magic. And I have seen this perfect info mid-range magic being played and hated watching it. It was super boring to watch. It looked super unfun to play. So I would not want a card that encourages that. Though I do know there's a lot of people that love this, this card. Oracle of Moldaya, super popular in Commander, and I'm sure people would build decks around it like crazy if they got the opportunity. So maybe for the fun of other people, I would quote-unquote allow it if I had that type of power, but not for me. Hmm. Yeah, I get that. And I actually agree with that, that I don't want boring format, basically. Um, when it comes to the cards I don't want to see, we covered a few. I already gave my spiels to why I don't want Bajookabog. I don't want Muxus. I don't want Dual Caster Mage. The big two I want to talk about, though, are Kira, Great Glass Spinner, and Phyrexian Tower. I hate both. Yeah. Uh, as to being like on my entry or in, as cards in general? Oh, as cards in general. Like They okay. were initially on my list, too. I just tried yeah. to condense it a bit, but yeah. So, so Kira, the Great Glass Spinner, is a 3-mana Spirit 2-2 flying. Creatures you control have whenever this creature becomes the target of a spell or ability for the first time each turn, counter that spell or ability. So that's a very strong effect. And that's amazing in spirits right off the bat, right? And the Merfolk, reason it actually saw play in modern. It was oh, yeah. it's, it's play in spirits too, but it's a little play in Merfolk too. That works. The reason I don't want this card in Pioneer, not even just for the power level. The power level is good and it's annoying. It's an annoying card because it also counts itself. If it said other creatures you control and it didn't count itself as for its own protection, I wouldn't care at all as far as power level is concerned. Yeah, it's just like kill the Kira first and then kill whatever. Yeah, but you have to have double removal to kill this first. That sucks. But the big reason I don't want this in Pioneer is because this gives spirits an identity that it already has in Modern. It becomes spirits-esque of Modern. If that makes oh, sense. Oh, where they have the drop skull captain. Uh, exactly. Stuff, uh, and the once you get your stuff. second drop skull captain, all your creatures are hexproof permanent. Yeah. The upside is, though, this card is a legendary, so it doesn't have that problem. But I spark want spirits double. to. Oh, yeah, that's true. Oh, God. Yeah, they start playing spark <laughs> oh, It doesn't double. work because it doesn't overlay. Actually, maybe it then triggers three times. No, because it both says the first time. So there would just be two instances of this card. Ah, uh, okay. Either way, this card gives or takes away the identity of the tempo-y kind of thing that Spirits has now and pushes it into what Modern already does and does it better. And we've had this issue where we don't want Pioneer to be a modern light. We just don't. Yeah, because then it's not last Pioneer. Week, or the week before, we talked about when you come from Modern into Pioneer with your Spirits deck, it's probably going to feel very watered down. Yeah, And if it now even has the same type of identity, it's going to even more feel like I am just playing yep. my watered-down mode on deck. Exactly. And the last card is Phyrexian Tower. Sack a creature, add double black, or you can just add colorless mana on its own. Um, Land shouldn't have for two mana. <laughs> yeah. That's my main thing. Yeah, we, 
I just don't want this here. I just don't want it. I, I can't give an exact reason. Like again, double mana, it's going to do dumb things and it's not going to do super dumb things. There's not a whole lot of combo stuff in black, but just the fact that you have that ability, like this is just a commander card and it should stay in commander. Oh, That's how no, I, feel I have about to it. sacrifice my stitcher supplier for two mana. Yeah. Rakdos Pyromancer would love this. Um, it's just like, I don't want this here. And it, Goblins play this for a reason, right? Because you want to accelerate. Yeah, you turbo at Muxus. Yeah. I I don't want to hear. And that's just, that's how I feel. Yeah, so I, 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 I'm with you 100%. I do not like Frexian Tower. One thing I quickly want to add on Kira is um, that, especially because she protects herself, the problem with that I see with a card like Kira too is that it's like, it takes two removal spells, so I have to two-for-one myself to even, like, start playing this, like, removal game against Kira. So if the card is popular, you know how people react to that? They don't. Right? Like, if it if Kira is a popular card in, like, Band Company, Spirits, maybe there's a Merfolk deck now with, like, Marrow Regery and stuff, the way people interact with Kira is to not interact with Kira. Mm-hmm. And I never like cards that, and that's my problem with Allosaurus Rider too. I do not like cards that like broad stroke deal with interaction, just like Teferi. Like I mentioned Carnage Tyrant, but like as like a card that I hate it. But generally speaking, design wise, I don't mind Carnage Tyrant because it's Carnage Tyrant, and I need to kill the Carnage Tyrant, and then I go back to playing normal magic. And meanwhile, I can actually just play normal magic. I can kill your other creatures, I can play your planeswalkers, I can counter your follow-up spells. If an Allosaurus Rider is in play, my counters don't work. Just like when yeah. Teferi is in play. When Kira is in play, my removal sucks in any yep. way that I want to use it. And that's yeah, just unfun. Yeah. And I think that's what, you know, I think we can end this entire conversation on a positive note that the likelihood of this all happening is pretty slim. But even if it did, there's a decent amount of cards that I I would say 90% of what's historically legal that is not in Pioneer, I'm fine with. Like pretty much all the anthologies, um, most of Jumpstart, minus the few things we've said, um, I'm fine with pretty much everything. I might be annoyed with some stuff, but... Yeah, when I started reading over it, my initial reaction, especially the anthologies, I was like, there are actually so many cool cards in here that I would think are actively cool in Pioneer. It's just yeah. that there are some cards that super suck. So I would not be that against... I, I would seriously not even really be against this merge if it were to happen. If they were, A, putting all these cards into a Pioneer Master set so they don't cost like 100 bucks because these cards aren't at all based on prices in paper. right? Nope. Some of these cards in paper go for like 80 to 100 bucks. I think Captain Sisse is like a $200 card or something. Like It's a ridiculously expensive card. Also on the reserve list. It's, uh, Captain Sisse isn't on the reserve list, I think. But, um, I mean, they otherwise. might. Uh, I put it on my list like any reserved list cards. I don't know if any of them actually are, but obviously they could. Right for historic, just put reserve list cards in historic. It wouldn't matter. So yeah. that obviously sucks. They need to do printing issues, etc. But if they were like, we have split up our player base. This doesn't work. But we're gonna throw a bone to the pioneer players. We're gonna merge the formats, but we're cutting all the degenerate stuff. So pack this out. Like we're sort of we're gonna combine these formats, 
but we're going to go by the pioneer rules. So no zero mana cards, right? So Pact is out. Um, no one card wins. So Muxus is out. Uh, we decide, we learn after half a year that people apparently do not like all the top tier decks being combo. So dual caster mage is out, right? If they sort of went that way and sort of really trimmed the bad part of historic off, I don't mind like sculpting steel being pioneer legal. It's probably pretty cool. Yeah. And it would open a lot of doors for all different decks. And I think you have a pretty, you'd still have a wide open meta. And I think it'd be very interesting and it'd be the biggest shakeup in magic history for any format. Hey guys, uh, just want to let you know, we've had some technical difficulties with the first recording of the podcast, so sort of the final thoughts and like the wrap-up is recorded on a separate occasion, so it might be a little bit disjointed, and maybe you'll hear us maybe say something that we already said before, and that's mostly just because we're doing it in two takes, but we didn't have time to like redo the whole episode, and why would we? We already had most of it recorded. Yeah. So, with that being said, so having our final thoughts about, obviously, this hypothetical. So in case everyone panics, like, oh, but what if Historic Empire... Don't, don't worry. It's probably not going to happen. But in the hypothetical world where it does, Brad, how bad is the damage? I mean, if you look at everything we just talked about, clearly, today, it's the same day. Clearly well, uh, today, don't, yes. Yeah, don't anyone fool you. Uh, but everything we just talked about in regards to like all the different cards and stuff that we like and dislike, um, we're both in unison in agreement that we like more cards out of Historic than we dislike cards out of Historic. And you even yes. mentioned saying, hey, what if, if they just handle it correctly and just preemptively ban? Like when you announce a new format, because in a way, the same way when they announced like, well, they didn't do this with Pioneer, but when they announced Modern, for example, and they preemptively I mean, banned Pioneer a lot technically of stuff. had a ban list. Yeah, the, the fetches. Only five cards, but... Yeah. Um, but it wasn't like a preemptive ban in which like those cards can never come off the list kind of thing. True. Um, where in this case, they would have to do something more modern-like, um, meaning the modern format, not modern as in like modern era. Yes. Uh, just want to clarify that because I know someone's going to be like, the fuck is he saying? Um, anyway, something more modern-like in which they have an actual preemptive ban list and they ban some of the cards that you and I have mentioned. Um, now, Maybe they don't have to ban things like Muxus. Um, I'm not going to enjoy playing against it, to be honest. But, you know, it's not that abrasive um, or oppressive in historic as is. And, like, I can deal with the deck fine. And let me tell you, it feels so rewarding when you beat it. Because you're just like, yeah, this is the dirty deck. Like, this is, the, this is like the Tron of the format, basically. <laughs> Even though they have a pretty actual literal Tron. But it's it's it's, it's Muxus I give a shit about. Yeah, I, th I think uh, as we mentioned, like the most important part is so what if this were to merge? So there is actually a lot to be gained, mm -hmm. but they can only do it. At least, obviously, from our perspective, if you're like a real historic player, you might not agree with this. I feel like it then has to sort of been done from like the pioneers, the the pioneer perspective, haha, the podcast. But <laughs> the idea of like so. Cheating on mana, Phyrexian Tower, Pact of Negation, that sort of thing. That should probably be out. Two-card or really easy-to-set-up combos, right? Seagate, Stormcaller, Neoform, cool, I win the game. Like, that kind of thing is clearly, like, shown in Pioneer. Like, hey, we don't want this, right? We no longer have Demir Inverter. We don't have Sun Gun. We don't have um, Cat Combo. That sort of thing is out. And if they take it from that perspective, like, hey, we're going to 
look at Pioneer's identity and sort of apply that to historic as these formats merge, I actually think either there's stuff to be gained or not that much changes. Right? Like Elves isn't yeah. suddenly going to be the best deck in the format if it gets Allosaurus Rider and Elvis Archdruid, right? Like some decks will gain it, but as we said, there's there's really cool cards. Like Thalia is a card people kind of want anyway. And Tempered mm-hmm. Steel was just cool. So there there is a lot to be gained. Uh, yeah. from if the merge happens. However, I think that is the second part. Do we would we even trust Wizards to get it right? Because I personally don't. Yeah, and that goes back to your original question of like what the damage would be. And in a perfect world in which you and I are kind of like, you know, Wizards has their head on their shoulders, screwed on tight, and they can make the decision cohesively. Then yeah, no damage, really. Virtually none. If anything, it's a big boost for the format and it probably gains a lot of interest. You gain the entire historic player base, essentially. Well, I mean, you probably lose some players out of frustration, like, oh, I lost like some cards. But I think you gain more. You're not going to lose a lot of people over Packet of Negation, right? Like, there's just a couple of cards that are really egregious, which Mm. generally, like, yeah, you ban Muxus, you know, that's a big hit for Goblin players, so maybe you don't have to do that. But is anyone really going to, like, care about the fact that they don't have like the Gideon Pact of, in, uh, Pact of Negation cheese in their blue-white control deck? I don't think so. Yeah, exactly. Um, so in that scenario, <clears throat> I would agree and say no damage. But in the scenario you're painting right now, which we don't trust Wizards, which it's hard to, um, they've shown to make some mistakes, and it's not like they're not self-aware. They have owned up these mistakes, and they've been pretty transparent with us in that regard let me rephrase in that regard other things not as transparent as we'd like but whatever i don't see it ending as well as you'd like in that scenario it's hard to envision them doing it correctly um for instance i would just see them just leaving packed in i can't even imagine them banning that if they did this for some reason i just can't well i think the main thing is like if if pioneer and historic were to merge they're gonna probably just approach it from the historic side, not approach it from the pioneer side, as I would uh, say, mention. And also, another thing to keep in mind, snapshot now, you know, uh, Kaladesh remastered, Amonkhet remastered, Jumpstart, and three historic anthologies, it seems alright. But this has been all been added over the course of, like, what, a year? Yep. So, the idea, if the formats would merge then Pioneer would now start getting these random injections of cards at random points. And that also just creates a lot of instability, which is part of the thing that I don't like about Historic, is that these uh, random ads are such wild cards. Like, what if we get Jumpstart 2? What if we get, like, a better Muxus? Or, like, what if we get, like, I don't know, like, Warrior Muxus? And suddenly... (laughs) You just well, get one shot out of an Orzov deck. Like it's it's funny because the Jumpstart two thing effectively because Jumpstart effectively is what you hate the most out of a supplemental set and a Horizons type set. We've talked about Pioneer yes. Horizons before, but Jumpstart is literally a Horizon set for uh, for Historic. It's literally what it is. So yeah, if I mean, we got yeah, Jumpstart two, set two. It, yeah, it's well, kind of those most of those are those are a bit more. I mean, okay, look, let's look at all the anthologies, right? Well, How many well, cards no, do we have on our no no go list from the anthologies compared to what we're on the jumpstart list? 
right? Uh, yeah, actually, funnily enough, for me, it's none that I talked about. I had Ghost Quarter, Meddling Mage. That's it. Because mm. I don't like playing against those cards. But overall, yeah, you are right. The The main problem is the random adds and um, Jumpstart. Yeah. It's amazing what Wizards can do and how well they can manage when they can just pick cards that have already been designed years in the past and just pick a hand, handful amount of cards and be like, hey, let's interject these into the format versus creating a whole new set. It shows yeah. you how the, the split and the and the lack of resources for R&D in comparison well, to just like, look at these cards. They've, they've gotten bad at designing cards, which is kind of weird, right? You're, you're, you're yeah. 25 years into your game and the core design of your the core part of your game you suddenly get bad at. Yeah, well, like cards I like mean, Omnath drawing a card for no reason. Yeah, like that sort of thing. Like they they've they've made really weird design decisions recently. And in something like the anthologies, they can actually look at the correct design. So so it's also easier, right? Mm-hmm. Like it it's much easier to make a cool anthology than a cool jump start. Because for anthology, a lot of these cards are kind of just cute. Like, Momentary Blink was a really good deck. Well, at least a really fun, like, interesting deck in its standard time. So, yeah, yeah. you can see, like, yeah, like, Momentary Blink would probably be a gain for your format. So, let's just shove Momentary Blink in there. Where, like, how do you design a goblin payoff? Right, that's much harder. Mm-hmm. So, I can also see why it goes wrong. But, yeah, you are right, saying, like, something like a jumpstart has a very horizon-y feel to it. Because otherwise, nobody cares. Yeah, yeah, and they and they also made these uh, jumpstart with like they still had commander in mind. So I have a feeling, and this is a, this actually goes into a deeper problem. It's not just about them in R and D and play design having issues with designing cards. The other problem is the fact that they take commander into such heavy consideration now because it's now the yeah. poster child for paper magic. So before. Mark Rosewater has been like, hey, yeah, we, we want to have good commanders in the set. We've always wanted that. And that's how they kind of sprinkle things in. But the whole point of commander is like you want to just find these cards out of a set and be like, oh, this is cool. And that's what we can make a commander out of yeah. this. Where now they're forcibly making cards that are just bonkers in commander, which actually in that format are probably fine, right? Like they might be annoying to play with. Oh, yeah, you can do a lot of weird shit in commander. So Yeah, So but the, but the power level is like, Fine. So, like Omnath as a card in Commander is probably fine. Whatever. Yeah, Muxus is, isn't even good in Commander because it's it, all exactly. Goblin. Well, yeah. it's it's good to put in your deck, but like nobody cares, right? Yeah, and it's a one of, and it, you don't it, you don't have you have one to your target or like a couple if you're playing like yeah, and like you and don't that. have like the high chance to hit Haste plus Granko, which is like it, it, exactly the, the most disgusting thing you do with Muxus. So they make these powerful cards for a format in mind. But then it's like they forget the effect that these powerful cards have in a constructed 60-card format, which is where the, the break-off happens, right? Because it feels like they made Muxus and like Omnath and things like that with Commander in mind. Like, hey, we have to just pad all these stats where it's fine in that scenario. And if they made those cards in a supplemental Commander set, like Commander Legends that's coming out, then who cares, right? But oh, yeah. because if, it's interjected... If, if Omnath was at the helm of a four color landfall deck and like a commander precon like ah cool yeah you'd look at it and be like that seems like a commander card cool i mean i'll I'll be honest when i read omnath the first time i thought like cool commander card 
Yeah. It just so looked like a commander card. Turns exactly. Out it's actually bonkers and constructed, but yeah, because everyone's like, it would be so hard to get my, you know, to get that mana. But when you're in a scanner nope. that has triomes and stuff like that, you just don't care, right? Um, and we yeah. had Gross Spiral for the uh, old Gross Spiral actually rotated at the time, yeah. but whatever. So, all in all, when it comes to this uh, hypothetical situation, again, probably not going to happen. It was a fun thing to talk about in the sense that, like, while it's probably not going to happen, we could totally see it happening. Like, if Wizards announced this, you would have no surprise or shock from I don't I think either of us. It yeah, was I, like, I, yeah, I would I would probably be pissed because mm. I know they're going to mess it up, right? As we yeah. talked about, I don't trust Wizards to do it right. If they would yeah. have an article published that they would merge and they would literally say, "We are take, we are looking to balance this from the side of Pioneer," I still wouldn't trust them to do it. Yeah, and so you look I'd at the list, but I wouldn't be surprised. And to give, you know, to feed the fire, uh, so so to speak, from what you're saying and lack of trust, let's look at two bannings that we think of. Okay, let's look at Aetherworks Marvel and then the combo bannings of Pioneer. Okay. What do those two bannings have in common, Alex? They aren't fun. That, and they are community-driven. Because Wizards, even in the uh, in the one for like all the bannings leading up to it, they meant talk about inverter and stuff like that for Pioneer at least. Um, and the way that they worded it in that when they actually banned all the combo decks, Kethis, Sun Gun, oh, inverter, I was like, it's not a problem, but fine. Exactly. And the same wording they had in Aetherworks Marvel. So even when they quote unquote do the right thing and make the correct decision, it's not in the interest of making the right decision. They it's reluctantly the make the correct decision. Exactly. <laughs> like when they when they ban cat combo in standard, right? When they when they ban Felidar Guardian, they had the ban list. Three days later, they had an addendum, uh, addendum made to the ban list. Be like, oh, whoops, we we're banning cat now because everyone flipped their shit. That's probably like, let's be honest. In terms of like BNR announcement, that is probably the worst mistake that Wizards has ever made. Yeah, not banning Felder Guardian in that announcement. Yeah, and that's not even about the power level, but that's the doing it, do actually banning it three days later. That's literally the time it takes for people to like find their deck lists and like deck lists go to TCG and order their stuff, and it's being shipped to your house and it gets banned yeah. before it arrives. Exactly. And, and that like deck that. was not cheap. No. So, and there are a lot of people that like, you know, lost a lot of money for that. And like that, that happens. And like, so, and again, we talked about this before too. How many people do you think bought into Kethis after they had the, uh, the Othinus unban and that was it. And you're like, okay, I guess combo's safe. Right. Well, it's so, not zero. Cause you are there. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, I, I mean, I, I was but, already, I already had Kethis at that yeah, point. You already yeah. had it, but no, like, yeah, you're right. Like, and Kethis is not a cheap deck either. That was like a six hundred dollar deck. Yeah, because um, already because of the mana base, because it's a four color deck. Exactly. Um, and Inverter wasn't a cheap deck either. It was like three hundred bucks, four hundred bucks. Um, Lotus Field is the only one that was cheap. It was like quote unquote cheap. It's still even if someone bought the cheapest one or most cost effective one, it's still a like hundred fifty dollar deck. Hundred fifty dollars yeah. is not nothing. No, no, especially. We talked. We talked about this last week when we talked about like decks that have an upgrade path or not. Some of mm. these decks that end up getting banned are really weird. So yeah. Lotus Field is, is is literally filled with bulk and then ten good cards. 
So if you buy into Lotus Field, some of these cards might have like cost like a couple bucks because they're rare, mm-hmm. but not because they're actually used. Yep. So when your deck gets banned and it's now useless, uh, you just you that you can't get the money back. Yeah, because you your card that's yeah. five bucks because it was used in one deck but rare is now five cents because it's not worth anything because nobody plays it even if it is rare. Yeah, like have you seen any actual constructed decks play hidden strings and pour over the pages before Lotus? No. Exactly, it was draft chaff and wasn't even good draft chaff. No. So hidden strings is just crap. Also, because it's a cipher yeah. card. It's a it's a problem, and like that's a big problem. And again, that's a natural thing with our. I'm I'm not complaining about bands. Um, I I'm not one of those. I come from Yu-Gi-Oh. We talked about this before. I expect there to be a lot of bands all the time for my my TCG. So I'm not sitting there going like we have too many bands. I would always rather them make the powerful cards and then have to ban them rather than never make powerful cards. If I had to choose between the two, I want there to be a happy medium. I oh, want yeah, there like, to be a middle ground. I pick War of the Spark over Homelands any day. Yeah, like I mean, at least War of the Spark Standard was fun for me. Like I I enjoyed War of the Spark Standard. I thought I mean I was playing Esper Hero, so like I, of course I had fun. Yeah, I my my only the only thing I liked about War is that they gave a a decent send off to Nicol Bolas in terms of a card. Yeah, I'm still yeah. surprised that in all this broken stuff going on, Nicol Bolas feels so unbelievably fair. Because it's Grixis. Yeah, like well, they I mean, made it like. He comes in, he's a five mana planeswalker that comes with four loyalty, when yep. literally all the other ones come in with five. Mm-hmm. And he yeah, has like the most restrictive casting cost like ever put on a card in the history of this game. Like it's yeah. it's unbelievable how restrictive the mana cost is. And that's probably just because the passive is potentially very powerful. So like it, they had to dock points somewhere else. Mm-hmm. You you see, I actually for funny the parallel between this is going on a bit of a tangent, but I found this funny. I think about it recently. The parallel between Teferi, Hero of Dominaria, and Nicol Bolas, Dragon God is like uncanny. They're five mm-hmm. mana walkers. They come in with four loyalty. They have a plus one, that's card advantage, a minus three, that's removal, and a minus eight, that is an ultimate that effectively wins you the game. Yep. They are unbelievably similar, but Teferi is better. In is slightly better in every way, except for the ultimate, because the bolus will literally instantly win you the game. But mana cost is better. The plus is arguably more powerful because untapping two lands is probably more powerful than slowly chipping away at your opponent. Even though it mm-hmm. is a powerful effect, you'd probably rather have the untap two. Mm-hmm. Uh, the tuck deals with anything as opposed to only creatures and planeswalkers. But Nicol Bolas is the passive and Teferi doesn't. Yeah. So it just feels like to get that passive going, they docked power everywhere else. But they are actually super similar cards. Well, no. Bolas always is very flavorful. It feels like a Bolas card. And have you ever seen a Bolas card that's just like, you're like, oh my god, that's overpowered? No. no They're all just... inherently fair. Well, it's because they were all overcosted. Like a mm-hmm. seven mana planeswalker is never going to be busted. No. And that's why I was very happy they made him five. I was genuinely afraid they were going to send him over like a 10-mana Planeswalker. To be like, oh, Dragon God, so powerful, big, her. And it was just going to be played like literally nowhere. It has, and, has like a fucking 12-page thing of all of its loyalty abilities. Yeah, you know the thing where they said like with the Urza Academy Hatmaster, where it's like go to askursa.com? 
It would just be a link to a website, and he would have like seven loyalty abilities. But all worse than Teferi Five, though. Yes, even though it would be ten mana planeswalk. So, anyway, uh, to kind of wrap up, because we've been, uh, it's hard to track the time, but I remember one time we had to do an episode in two takes, and it ended up being an almost four-hour episode, because we had such a bad grasp on time. Yeah. Um, This was obviously a really speculative episode. Mm. We can be transparent about this. I think we came up with this episode idea about two hours before we started recording. Because we weren't sure what to cover aside from the metagame at the start. Uh, we were just telling about Historic, and you had the post about Mindstone, and I was like, why don't we just do this for all Historic cards? Yeah. So, it was a little bit off the cusp. Speculative episode. Um, so we would like to know if you people would like this. You know, you like us to talk about hypotheticals, because obviously talking about these hypotheticals, we start talking about, like, general magic subjects mm-hmm. um so we would like to get your feedback see what you think of this type of episode and also feel free to give us your own episode ideas like a subject you want to cover a hypothetical you want to cover um anything really you've got any ideas just throw them our way we, we will write them down somewhere and if we feel like the time's ripe and we have a cool idea with your suggestion we'll probably do something with it. Can't promise anything, because if we suddenly get 15 suggestions coming in, you know, we're going to have other things to do in the coming 15 weeks. Like the moment they start spoiling cards for Strix, hey, Kaldheim. Kaldheim's the next Kaldheim's one. first. Obviously, that's going to be like two, three, four weeks of just Kaldheim. But throw, us, throw the ideas our way. We love to hear them. We love to interact with the audience. We'll probably have another live one at 1.2. Yes. Though it might have a bit more structure, so it doesn't go on for four and a half hours. But if you I haven't heard from see. Brad in a second, his microphone started being funny. So I've just been talking and watching Brad struggle with his microphone, which at this point has just detached. It is detached. I have to fix it. Uh, so I'm just holding it like a big old microphone stand. So it works uh, just fine. But yeah, I mean, to be fair, we're having this type of uh, episode during a time in which nothing's going on the winter it's no secret the fall slash winter is well after after the fall set comes out the winter leading up to january is the dead most deadest time of uh yeah kind of by design wizards always admits it's also the time where least people play magic because they're busy with the holidays and other Mm -hmm. things so it's kind of the planned dead period yeah but we'll we'll have uh caldime spoilers probably middle towards christmas Towards like by the first week of uh, Christmas is when those start coming out. That's usually when it happens. They usually give us like a, a cool little spoiler, like as a Christmas present, and then uh, oh start, yeah, yeah, and they we start, get like only yeah. a few cards. They spoil like a mechanic, yeah, with just one card, and it's like go wild, guys. Yeah, and then like we we get back after Christmas, they're like, all right, are you ready? And it's like five days of spoilers. You're like, here we go, here we fucking go. <laughs> <laughs> I will say usually when they do this thing like as a Christmas present we spoil you one like card featuring a new mechanic it always mm-hmm. ends up being underwhelming afterwards because your oh, mind starts racing in these one and two weeks you come up with these wild cards that could exist with this mechanic and they never do Nope but 2021 Alex anything's possible I mean I uh, we talked about on the episode like 
a couple months ago. I'm excited for what's coming. Yeah. Like I am genuinely excited for this year in terms of the sets and the places we're going to go and the potential mechanics we could have. I am super excited for uh for 2021 in terms of magic. I'm also excited and hopefully life going back to normal. So that'd be fun. Yes. Would be very fun. Um I'm just Look, I'm excited. We talked about this before, and you just even mentioned it just now. I'm also so excited for next year. I am the most excited for the vampire set because I just want to see if how broken vampires becomes. Though I'm worried because I'm just like, mm, getting a lot of vampires, a vampire theme set. Actually, let me ask you this. This is a, this is a slight tangent, but you know, this would not be the pioneer perspective if we didn't have several tangents and one episode, yes. especially towards the end when we're wrapping I up. I mean, hey, they're mostly magic related, so that's yes, uh, that's that's new. Do you think that the werewolves slash vampires uh, double set thing um, for Innistrad is going to be in the same vein as the Teferi themed core set or the Chandra themed core set in the sense that? That's the flavor, that's the theme, but it's not slapping you across the face with the theme, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, I think that already kind of happens because it's two themes, right? Well, like, they're they're not molded together, though. They're two separate sets. They're full 300-plus card sets, the double set. Yeah, but I, I would be very surprised if individually the sets are as exciting as a regular set. Like, I'd be I'd be surprised if we get just literally just two, like, flashed out like as unique as flashy as sets can be both at the same time that would surprise me i mean positively surprise me but like i don't think so i think they're also much less in your face themes right especially vampires you can can honestly flavor vampires and you instead of putting like a hundred humans in every set you just put a hundred vampires in every in in the set that's true my worry, though, is because we have an inherently, like, potentially broken Planeswalker in Soren. Like, it's not a joke. That's an g- amazing Planeswalker. That's one of the best three-mana Planeswalkers ever made. On yeah, they face print, like, a alone. seven or eight-mana vampire that's actually good. Yeah. Like, we're not talking Baron Sanger. We're talking, like, actually good vampire. Yes. That's scary. Yeah. And, the, you know, they won't ban the, the card that just came out. No, they're going to ban Soren. The, yeah, and now, then vampire dies. Is probably the, the enabler. So of course like, it is. It yeah. makes sense. It, it it would actually be correct to ban Sorin but, if no, you I agree. break Sorin in that way. But it would be a shame. Yeah, because like I said, Sorin on face value is one of the most powerful three mana planeswalkers ever printed. The exception, though, and the reason that it's fine is because it's a tribe themed based uh, uh, planeswalker. It has to fit in with the tribe. If it just generically said minus three, drop any creature onto the board, it's also a vampire. <laughs> do you know how do you know how quickly that would have been banned? Like it it'd be gone. It would have by been now. banned before the set was released. Yeah. Like that's absurd. But because it says any vampire, just drop it down. Oh. You could do some I sure as you could do stupid stuff with the uh what's the Exelon card that turns everything into your deck? Uh, like everything. Um Nothing. Oh, I know what you mean. There's like a, the, there's also there's also a black one that's called Conspiracy Arcane Adaptation. Yeah, Arcane Adaptation. That's the card. Yeah. 
So yeah, technically you could just be like Arcan adaptation, uh, vampires, and you're like, look at all these Eldrazi. Do you ever and- see that Minotaur deck with it? The legacy deck with Didgeridoo. <laughs> That's funny. I've not because seen it. It is called Didgeridoo. Yeah. Which I believe is a three mana artifact and it says two tap, put a Minotaur into play. But, or I think you might be able to cast a Minotaur for free, which might even, no, I think it's put into play. And you have yeah. Arcan Adaptation, you name Minotaur, and your deck is just full of like Ulamog, Emrakul, Gristlebrand. But because they're all Minotaurs, you could just pay two tap, whoop, put one into play. Just as God intended. Legacy boys. You got yeah, you love to see it. But I mean now you I, don't even need to cheat and put Arcan Adaptation into plays. You go two mana tap Morag. <laughs> you just got your you just got your Minotaur. <laughs> nice. Oh my god. But we're we're definitely both excited about next year. Yeah. Um it's gonna be fun. Hopefully it doesn't bring on the merging of Historic and Pioneer. Um because again it's not a matter of we don't want the cards in it. It's a matter of uh, them not doing it properly. Yeah, but I'm I'm fairly positive, especially just for the health of Pioneer, uh, because Pioneer's doing fine right now, right? Yeah. Like people are like yeah, no events aren't always as big, blah, blah, blah. but that, that's sure, right? But Pioneer is trucking along, right? It's 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 not going away. It's it's kind of secure. Mm-hmm. And being like the sort of new paper format they really wanted to push, then coinciding with the pandemic, as long as we, it's kind of an analogy for most of the world, as long as we get through here, we'll pick up the pace when all of this is over. Yeah, and the only thing that had to happen for Pioneer is to not die in the meantime. Yeah, Pioneer is probably uh, at its most healthy right now. I, I think it's fair, because again, now it's not just healthy in the sense of like every deck has representation, like the four pillars thing. We are seeing changes in decks to adapt to metagames, and we're watching the metagame and all these decks just change and evolve. And like I'm a, sure there's a lot of hidden potential, like exactly. a lot of unexplored potential in this format. It's just that the eyes aren't really on it. Yep. Because Pioneer isn't really a I would say it's not a good online format, but it's on MTGO where it's competing with Legacy, Modern, and Vintage and EDH, mm-hmm. which are being played on there, which are already like, especially just Modern, it's just such a titan of a format that it's hard mm-hmm. to compete if you're the new guy. Especially if you're really looking for some standard cards too, which is no longer being played on a re- on uh, MTGO. So it's just yeah. harder to get by your cards even. All the more reason to pound the table for Arita. Oh, excuse me. Yes. Uh, I mean, you know, we could make an entire episode, but we've mentioned it before about the fact that Historic was probably just a mistake. Yeah. And I mean, wrong. not even I a like, mistake. Is in like, yeah, oh, like... Yeah, I like Historic. But and I've, I've watched you play it. It should have been Pioneer. I'm, I, I might, like, a couple days have passed, and I'm going to be hearing at the beginning of the episode, Alex being like, I would never play Historic. It's like, <laughs> you know what? I, I could probably get, like, I could just build, like, a Pioneer deck and just see how far I get in Historic and might jam a couple of games. Like, I don't hate Historic or, like, people who play it. It's like, you shouldn't like this. Like, no, like yeah, what I'm, you like. I'm but almost Historic was probably a knee-jerk reaction. That's what I would say. I, yeah, it was like, we need something to give people. Yeah, we need something cards. because for some reason, we do not want people to be able to dust or somehow get rid of their old cards, even though it's, yeah, it's every stupid. other platform has a system like this 
but you can you can get pretty far in historic with the uh, pioneer based decks. I mean, look at Rakdos Arcanist um, or Rakdos Pyromancer, whichever. It's called Arcanist and Historic, but Pine, uh, Pioneer calls it Pyromancer. I mean, but um, bar I, like dig through time and a few sideboard cards, I could literally play Grixis Control. Mm-hmm. So, and I think I might be able to get really far with Elves because of Jumpstart. I don't know if they printed yeah. Shaman off the back, and you're missing. Elvish Mystic, which is huge. Well, Elves like, is a deck in, in Historic. It yeah, is an but you can put Elvish Archdruid in there, so you can I can like play a weird hybrid between my Pioneer and my modern Elves deck. You could uh, put uh, you could play Drawn Through Dreams in your Grixis deck, like a exile one of instead of just going uh, into Victory Time. If you if you really yeah, but whatever. If you really want that ability, um, let's put Glimmer in. That's true. I mean, Actually, I'm almost I'm almost in Mythic right now. I'm, I'm a bit surprised I'm, I'm, I see people play Glimmer. In control decks because I always feel like Reign of Revelations is a better card. I do like Reign of Revelation a lot, but I mean I'm gonna have some good. I will have like some good nostalgia trips going on, playing a Gearhawk, flashing back a Glimmer. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, to your you saying how far you can get with Pioneer decks in Historic, I'm playing pretty much a downgraded version of Mono Black Vampires right now. Yeah, you um, just we, don't have Kalidas. Don't have Kalidas. Don't have Mutavolt. Mutavolt's oh, very yes. important to that deck <laughs> too. Um, don't have uh, Urborg to uh, help make your manlands into swamps because I'm running mobilized district, a couple of those. Um, I'm only running two of them, not the full four, because I mean, they're not legendary, so you can um, you can have them on just like Moodle is, but they cost four mana to, to pump them. So the odds of you pumping multiple at once are some to none. And yeah. you don't have Urborg to be like, I'm going to fix these so they can tap these colorless things as swamps. Yeah. Um, I can now cast my gifted Aetherborn, even though I have a colorless land. Nope. Yeah, so you don't get to do that. But you have Thoughtseize, you have Fatal Push, you have pretty much the entire deck minus Kalidus, those lands, um, and in the place I'm, it's a it's a little bit different of a deck. Like it functions exactly the same, but like yeah. Void Shadow too. I just think. Oh, you were missing Void Shadow. Yeah, yeah. That Which that's is a bummer because Mystical Dispute exists. Yeah, God, I wish it didn't. But again, that's another episode. Another time. <laughs> yeah, that's another episode. We can. Uh, we can probably have a full episode of just like cards we wish didn't exist in Magic as a whole. Well, I think it might be interesting not to go over just the, like the card we don't want to exist, but I think there's something in- a lot of interesting stuff to be said about color hate cards, especially yeah. some they've been printing in recent times because they print some egregious ones and they print some straight up awful ones. But Magic has a long history of color hate cards, and that could always be like that would almost not be especially pioneer related because we go back to like circle of protections and stuff mm-hmm. like that could be a a fun episode of time or i mean a fun you look subject. at yeah look at uh look at amaket's color hate cards the ones that like say like if you also control this planeswalker or your opponent controls this planeswalker do another thing um but like those were pretty good color hate cards and i ran them in standard um but they weren't like Mystical dispute where it's main deckable, or well, things because like, they didn't work against anything else, which makes them much more restricted. Yeah, right. You you can red cap melee a bowman courier if you really have to. It's gonna suck, but you can. Mm-hmm. And you can mystical dispute a wilderness reclamation. I know I've done it a lot. If <laughs> <laughs> even though it's a green card, yeah. and but it makes these cards go off that tangent because it's almost three in three uh, o'clock here well we had a reasonable time to start recording and then brad and i started talking yeah i, I think for like two hours 
Yeah. So <laughs> for those of you who have listened thus far through day one and day 1.5, actually like day three of this, uh, this wonderful pioneer perspective episode. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for joining us. Alex, where can they find you if they want to listen to you complain about Grix's stuff on Twitter? Unless yeah, you haven't so, typed anything yet. Yeah, so I, I have my Twitter, but I still haven't done anything on it yet. Uh, but I can now be found at, I think, I'm not sure if I already had this last week, but at Disciple of Bolas. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to plug it every single time, though. Yeah, and I'm and I'm sure I'm going to eventually uh, be posting stuff there. I'm going to keep it magic-related, even though Shadowlands is releasing next week. World of Warcraft nerds know what I'm talking about. Uh, I won't be posting about that because I'm keeping it exclusively to magic, but once spoilers come out, once I do anything else, once I see something cool, uh, I'm sure I'll uh, throw it your way on there. Yep. And you can find me on literally any social media platform, Bradsifer, B-R-A-D-C-I-F-E-R. Twitter, uh, Spotify even is that, uh, on the Discord, Xbox, everything, Bradsfer. Um, even actually Instagram and Snapchat. But I'm probably uh, those are both on private, so I'm not going to let a whole bunch of random people hop in there. But you can try. <laughs> you can try. We'll see what happens. It depends on how much I had to drink. But yeah, Bradsfer, you can find me pretty much anywhere like that. And if you want to hop in and talk to Alex and myself in person at any time, well, most any time, reasonable times, sometimes, you can hop in the MTG at Home Discord server. The link is in the description. You can join Play Some Paper Magic with us. You can hop in a, uh, a voice call with us and we can uh, just have essentially our tangents. That's what we do all the time. Um, Every time I play Alex in a game on Paper Magic, it does not just become a, okay, see ya, good game. It's a, I'm going to sit down and talk with this guy for another three hours about yes. random <laughs> It's And then like in, and then like three hours later, Alex, Alex will always be like, hey, what point are the game? And it's like, <laughs> it restarts the cycle. <laughs> like I said, thank you so much, everyone. Thank you so much for everyone for being here. And we hope to have you join us next week. And uh, we'll still be here. So, bye-bye. Bye-bye.